and welcome to uh, another writer special. Yes, Talking Bollocks continues to bring you the people behind the news, behind the interviews. That's right. It's um, it's a really cool one. Um, hello, welcome to the uh, to the podcast. This is a special writer special special enough for you. Um, and uh, you know, look, I, this isn't this is a special, so I'm not going to do all the usual jibber jabber I do at the front about you know my my. Ego takes over and I tell you all about me and what I'm doing, but um, uh, I'm not going to do that because this is a writer's special. Um, first up, is, and the, the strange thing about this is this this kind of ended, this is sort of ended up being a bit of a, a Slayer writer's special, which um, was completely accidental. I mean, well, not totally, because obviously DX is a um, is a, uh, a Slayer expert, but then... Um, Obviously, the uh, the other guy I'm going to have on, um, Ross Barker, is uh, we we end up talking quite a lot about um, about Slayer because he'd recently interviewed uh, Tom and uh, Kerry. So um, uh, this first interview is with uh, DX Ferris, writer of um, Slayer sixty six and two thirds, the Jeff and Dave years, which is a fascinating, wonderful book, really in depth. Uh, as you'll hear, we talk about it a lot, and um, and also the. Um, 33 and a third series which is uh, books written about you know particularly classic albums he did the one on rain and blood so uh it's really cool um very nice chap very nice chap um and um well without further ado let's get into it shall we because uh, these are pretty chunky interviews here's uh, dx ferris and i talking metal slayer and all things interesting can you hear me now yeah hello hello you got me. You got Howard, me too. How are you? I'm really well. How are you? Doing okay. A little bit frantic today myself. Oh, really? How's that? So, yeah, take your time. If you need a couple minutes to get situated, uh, uh, it's no, not a matter of life and death. I can let you no, settle in a bit. Uh, no, man, I'm absolute. I'm, I'm absolutely rocking. To be honest, um, uh, if if I um, if I if I let myself set in, um, my you know you know how it is when you when you've got your energy levels high. If I relax, I, you know you, it'll be like talking to a corpse. So uh, I don't I don't want you to have that experience. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, no problem. Um, so hey, is this is this going on video or are we just talking? Um, well, I, well, no, it, we're just talking. Um, having said that, um, let me just check. Should we? Um, are you are you on video at the moment? Should we have a look at each other to see what we look like? Ah, uh, yes. Okay. Cool. Okay. <laughs> so and I still I don't Skype much, so I okay. You've just you've gone away, and now I'm just okay. Right, now I'm, you're back. I'm, I'm back, but I can't see you. But okay, so I don't. Do I have my thing covered up? No, I don't. No, you, um, just, you don't have your camera on at all at the moment. Oh wait. Ah. How about now? Oh, that's the top of your head. <laughs> yeah. Hi, dude. Sorry, I don't. I don't Skype enough, and I'm not in the habit of looking at the camera instead of I, I, you. No. So I always think I'm making eye contact at you, but I'm not. Yeah, yeah, not a problem, man. It was it, purely so I know what you look like. We can go. We can switch back off the camera because we need we need as much bandwidth as we can get. Got it. How do I do that? <laughs> Good question. Whatever you just switch. Still- there you go. You did it. No problem. Okay. There we go. Right, so we're, we're, we're rocking. Um, sorry about all the, uh, the the shenanigans, but as you uh, as you obviously have an understanding of uh, of British transport systems. Yeah, you know, I lived. Um, it hardly makes me credible, but I lived in uh, England for like a year when I was a kid in like seventy nine, eighty. 
Oh, well, that's awesome. So, well, you I mean, know, I was... I lived in a, a little town called Ware, about half an hour south of London, I, I believe. I have, I have, um, I'm a, well, I, I do stand-up and I, I've played Ware a few times. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So I grew you. up into a nice hip place. Cool. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, uh, yeah, it's a funny old place. It's kind of like, yeah, well, all the obvious, all the obvious jokes about where, yeah, where, um, <laughs> but, um, so what were you doing? Was that, was that military? Was that, you know? You... No, my, my dad was a, uh, my dad was a medievalist. He was a Chaucer guy and he had uh, a year worth of sabbatical. He was a university teacher. He had a year worth of sabbatical saved up. So he went to England to, um, go to go to old museums and libraries and read old documents and right, yeah. see what else he could figure out about Chaucer that he didn't wow. figure out from afar. Wow. That, that, now that is, that's, that's proper, that's proper learned scholars there, right there, isn't it? Yeah. And I'm taking his, uh, taking his, his scholarly tradition and, uh, you know, doing my thing with it. <laughs> well, I look, I you know, look, I I think your thing is awesome. I mean, uh, you you know, there's there, there's only three, in my humble opinion, there's only three credible books about Slayer out there, and you wrote two, you wrote two of them. So, you know, that's pretty fucking impressive, right there. Well, thank you, and uh, the other one's in German, so I don't know whether it's good or not. Oh well, that's it has good Amazon. Reviews. Oh no, that, that's four books then, because um, uh, what's his name? Um, or Joel McIver's um, yes. Bloody Reign of Slayer is is a good is a good read as well. Yeah, he's he's a good guy. I don't I don't know him well, but from the little contact I've had, he seemed seemed nice and pleasant. Uh, yeah, very much so. I mean, funnily enough, um, my my interview with him consisted of me congratulating him on the two books that you wrote. I heard that. Oh, you you listened to it, did you? Yeah, um, and that's that's the kind of guy he is. He's Instead of taking credit for him, he admitted they were somebody else's. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and 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 of course, this is we we end up here. So is your is your is your name uh, is your name Ferris or my my last name is Ferris, but everybody in the world is named Dave. So if you say right. Dave, like five people go yeah. So at yeah. some point, people started calling me Ferris, and it stuck. And well, actually, pretty much everybody I like calls me Ferris, including my wife. Yeah. So please consider yourself eligible for the friends and family. Oh well, that, 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 that's that, that's very kind of you, Dave. Um, <laughs> but I, funnily, funnily enough, we've had a bit of a debate. Well, debate. I've been mouthing off on my podcast about um, about about Randy Blythe, of course, whose first whose first name is um, is David. Which, of course, if he was in a British band, he he'd be called Dave Blythe. But um, because he's American, he decided to pick his middle name, which is Randy, and he just. It just basically sounds like a porn name, but um, <laughs> that's um, that's that's a completely uh, a completely different topic, of course. Um, so, I, and and yeah, I really appreciated your your amusing tweet as well when I was heading, you know, sweatily to um, uh, to try and get home in time. Uh, I got to read it to the uh, to the listeners, which is a uh, Brit train system is running late, so slightly delay, slight delay for my appearance on uh, Talking Bollocks podcast. Thanks, Thatcher. Um, that, now, that, I know that Thatcher hasn't been around for a couple I, of years. I, but yeah. Americans, of course, don't know anything about the rest of the world. So yes, yeah, no, absolutely. As soon as I saw that, I was like, yeah, yeah, he, we're, we're, we're going to have a fun chat because because um, <laughs> I totally appreciated the uh, the irony with which your uh, text was your your tweet was dripping. Um, 
Uh, and that, that's but that's amazing that you were um, that you're over here for a year. That's really cool. So did that did that inform your your future? To I mean, was that part of obviously your your, your father as a scholar? Um, it, it, does all of that come together to sort of give you little or no choice in in your chosen profession, or was it it, it was just you gravitated towards it naturally? No, it's it's a little bit of both. I've tried doing absolutely everything else that I possibly could maybe do. And life just keeps dragging me back to doing this. Right. So I graduated school with a journalism degree, uh, college, university, you, you might call it, um, using American terms. But I graduated with a journalism degree and I pretty much wiped my ass with it. <laughs> um, and I, tr- I tried to be a businessman. I tried to make some money. I tried to be a dropout and none of that ever quite took and I just wound up um, going back into this kind of stuff. Um, you know, and I, and I mostly I teach now. I teach right now more than I write. Uh, I teach college. But, right. um, you know, my, I, I tried to get away from my dad's business and that kind of way of life, but I guess, uh, I guess it was not meant to be. You know, one of the, the things that's funny about it is that, you know how men do all sorts of things to try and get their dad's approval or through their life they have their dad in the back of their head absolutely yeah saying you should do this and you should do that um when i was putting together the big slayer book the full biography um my dad used to say that there should be a law that you can't publish a book without an index um so i was doing it without an index and one of the last things i did was actually handcraft the index myself and make it because I just heard my dad in the back of my head saying it should be illegal to publish a book without an index. Yeah. So that's a weird kind of like dad pressure, I feel. Like when I make a book, I have to make my own index for it. I, well, um, wow. That A, that is really cool. B, um, I believe the American term is thanks for sharing. Um, <laughs> um, I, I, but that is, that's really cool. And, uh, and funnily enough, while you were talking... Um, uh, Joel came online on my uh, on my Skype. I can see he's live on Skype. So I just sent him a message saying that I was talking to you now, um, and he said to tell you that um, he loved your book Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, <laughs> which which it's, is uh, yeah, which I is had pretty a much bit which... help with that. Uh, I had a little bit of help. With a nice British woman. Uh, yeah. I've let her take the credit because she needed it. Yeah, absolutely. She was in a bad way at the time. Well, uh, I, I think to, to be she's honest, she's done well with it. I'm proud with her. Hey, hey, look, I, I, it's funny you should mention that because, uh, to be honest, the, talking to you and then getting a message from Joel all at the same time is the closest I've ever come to having a three-way in my life. So, um, <laughs> so you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. We can just end the interview now and I'll be fucking really over the moon. Um, but, um, Joel and I got you locked in like Chinese finger cuffs. Uh, yeah, that's one. Yeah, you absolutely have me. Um but that's uh, to get back to what you were saying about about writing a book. So so the they were a real labor of love then to do um, to do the uh, the book on um, Rain and Blood that you did and the, the Slayer thirty three and a third the Dave and Jeff years or is it are we are we taping it or are we just talking? Oh man, we've been taping since the minute you picked the phone up. Yeah. Okay, well, sorry. Let me put on my cool radio voice. Hi there. You've got man. You've 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 got an awesome voice. Your voice is slaying mine right now. I'm looking at I'm looking at the waveform as uh, as we're recording this. And the waveform. Am I am I loud enough? Man, you, you are. Sorry, yeah, you are. You, no, 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 Matt. You are absolutely rocking. You've got the. Heads. And am I allowed to swear? 
Can I use swears? Um, to be honest, I would fucking love it if you did. Excellent. <laughs> right on, mate. Cheerio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right. Don't be a patronising So, cunt. yeah, I was going to ask you if you wanted me to talk about living in Britain. Um, oh, man, record, well... But we already did that, so yeah, that's great. Yeah, no, we're, we're, we'll get to all of that shit. I mean... You no, know, so we... back to Mr. McIver. Good guy. Good guy. <laughs> uh, look, no, no, no. Let's not give him any more coverage. And J.K. Rowling, you know, I... The name DX Ferris that I used to write is, I realize, I want to go on record saying that I realize that it's ridiculous and sophomoric, um, but it makes me easy to find on the internet. It does, um, yeah. I found you straight away. And yeah, Exactly. You know, if you do a search for, uh, it's an old high school nickname that stuck. And when the internet became a big thing, if you did a search for David Ferris, you would get, uh, and like a lawyer in California or a tech journalist, or uh, somebody in Michigan. Yeah. So uh, after years of resisting being called DX Ferris, I finally gave into it. Uh, look, um, look um, you know, uh, well, my, my first, when I was in um, uh, Acid Rain first time around, my, um, uh, my name was H. So, um, you know, I, 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 I went as vague as I could. I went the other way. Um, <laughs> uh, but um, I, look, I, I totally get it. And funnily enough, well, I found you really easily actually through amazon because i went to amazon looked up your book on amazon your books on amazon um and it links straight to your twitter so i i literally tweeted you straight away so i was i was in contact with you about five minutes after trying to get in contact with you well thank you i try yeah well you well you're very good at being found what can i say <laughs> and the biggest compliment i can pay you is that um i bought i bought both your books and i don't have either of them in my bookshelf and that is because they're out on loan um, oh, I thank you very much. Oh, not at all, not at all. I mean, the fir- the um, I mean, I, well, funnily enough, we the, we've been talking a lot on my. Well, I, I always say we, but I kind of mean when I say talking. Obviously, it's me talking in the podcast, but I do try and you know we we interact over Twitter and Facebook with with everybody who listens, and um, you know, obviously there's the there's the debate raging about you know should Slayer pack it in, should they still be going, um, and I, and I, I just kept saying to people. You know, oh, poor old Dave, you know, God, they've acted like a right set of cunts, throwing him out and all the rest of it. And I was like, look, people do the reading because what I found coming, what I what I interpreted from your book was very much that there is kind that basically and, and I'm not I'm not saying that you said this. I'm saying that I took took this away from your book was the fact that basically Dave tried to ambush the other guys into get a betting a de- getting a better deal for himself because he needed more money because of his divorce and he bas- and basically it really blew up in his face whoops yeah whoops yeah that's that's pretty much how it happened i mean i went into the book with you know i was very much on uh, as we say in america team dave you know i was sympathetic to his point of view yeah, and historically, it always seemed that the rest of the band were picking on him. Yeah, but also let's uh, face let's face it, it, it's very easy to be on Team Dave when Team Kerry is the other side. Yeah, and I mean Kerry is so outspoken and so direct and so, um, what's the term for it? He's just so real. He doesn't take the time to be nice and to seem cuddly and and he certainly take the time to yeah. craft what he's saying and make it palatable to everybody. And he certainly doesn't seem as the kind of person that um uh that indulges in compromise too too much too often. 
No, I mean he. Uh, I mean he's the he's the t- as I explained it in the books. He's the team captain. He's the guy cracking the whip, saying "Go, go, go, go!" Yeah, you got a busted knee. I don't care. We got to go out. We got to win this game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, man up. Yeah, uh, I mean, and, yeah. You know, sorry, generally, it, it has. I mean, here it's thirty years later. We're still talking about Slayer. Yeah. So um, you know, it's um, it works. Yeah. Except for Dave. Dave, uh, Dave, as you said, misplayed his cards a little bit. I wish he had not. I think it's terrible that he's not in the band. But uh, what are you going to do? No, I, I, I completely agree. Um, I think you know Slayer is is weaker without him. Um, I think like everybody else, I really hoped that the only good thing that would come out of Jeff's passing was them sitting down in a room and going, "Look, let let you know." this is life here you know and there are more important things let's work this out but i i i think that um i think that basically both kerry and tom and people tend to forget about tom being involved in this and making the same decision was that they 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 felt completely betrayed and i you know i i understand that because he definitely basically tried to ambush them yeah, they they did. He was making a lot. Lombardo was making a lot of money, considering his his technical status in the band. He was no longer uh, an owner. He didn't have an ownership stake in it when he left the band the previous time. He gave up his rights to certain things, but they were still paying him very well. He was still getting points on the merchandise, if I understand correctly. Really? Which wow! Is unheard of for uh, somebody that's not a uh, a vested member of a band. Yeah. But he, uh, as as I understand it, the the final push was that he wanted to be reinstated as a as a stockholder in the band. Yeah, and I got that. Timed out a certain way, and uh, you know, Kerry King delivered checkmate on that particular maneuver. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's it, it, it's it's a it's the timing. I mean, it's like you you do not turn around before before major festivals and go oh by the way if you don't give me this i don't think i can do these gigs it's kind of this is something that you that that you that you should be raising as a subject if it's troubling you and you discuss it over months and you try you try and somehow make it work yeah okay maybe he wants to come back and he wants his 25% you know share again no dave that's not going to happen but let's talk let's knock it backwards and forwards through our lawyers even maybe um and try and come at a figure that both parties can work with you you, you don't like a child try right. uh, try and hijack people before a big night yeah and you know might might i add that nothing about the slayer dynamics and the interpersonal relationships and the problems they've had Nothing about it makes much sense to anybody. I mean, when anybody looks at it, they all say, well, why don't they this and why don't they that? They, they have odd and unusual dynamics. I mean, for four people that have worked together for 30, 35 years, um, they don't communicate the way that you and I do. They don't communicate the way that most people and families do. They just – they have – an odd way of talking and not talking. So a lot of the things that you and I look at and think, well, why can't you just hash it out? You know, if you want 25%, why don't we give you six and compromise on that? But um, communication is not something that happens very often in the Slayer camp. Yeah. And over the years, as you see in the books, uh, over the years that has caused a lot of, um, a lot of problems that, 
we can't quite wrap our head around. Yeah, I mean, I, Tom has been quite vocal about how if they were going to do a new album, he kind of turned around to Kerry and said, "Look, we've got to find, we've got to change the way we communicate." Um, and 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 I found that quite interesting, especially the sort of the terms that he he couched it in. Um, and um, and it, and it's it's sort of come quite clear because he, he basically said, "Well, look, you know, with Kerry, he's always been very black and white, and I I needed to have some grey, you know." And I think that's you know Kerry's had to kind of bow to that, and and I think certainly the dynamic between those two has um, has changed since Dave's passing, and uh, sorry, since Dave's passing, since Jeff's passing, and and Dave leaving the band. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I mean, it's Slayer is their jobs, and what are you going to do? Quit? What are you going to do? Not? have Slayer anymore I mean I, I don't think Jeff would want them to quit so yeah nobody's happy about the band having to exist without Jeff but that's the situation so that's what they're doing yeah well I mean they've got a great replacement my old mate Gary Holt um and I think uh, and and also I you know I, I love Bostoff don't don't get me wrong um Slayer with with Dave is is, is stronger but if there's anybody that I'd that I'd have you know, in the stool instead of him, it'd be boss stuff. So, you know, I'm I'm maybe not as completely distraught as uh, uh, as a lot of Slayer fans. Um, yeah, and I mean, we're, we don't want to say replacing Jeff, but filling in for Jeff. I mean, there just was no right answer to that. There was no way it could possibly ever be done. And Slayer uh, and their management, to their credit, came up with the one possible acceptable answer on the face of the planet, and that was Gary Holt. Yeah. And uh, I mean, he's the guy to do it. He's doing it well. And God willing, they will let him uh, do a little bit more on the next album. Yeah, I definitely like to I definitely like to hear his, uh, his contribution because I mean, you know, the guy's an absolute riff machine. Um, yeah, I mean, he has he's written uh, every original Exodus song he's had a hand in at very least. Um, that's a lot of songs, a lot of good songs. Yeah, and he's the I mean, he's the only only Exodus member to play on every album. Um, yeah, exactly. So you know, he's. Um, I mean, I spoke to I spoke to Zetro recently, and he was he was saying, I was saying, like, it's you know, it's great, and I ref, I referred to like filling in for Jeff, and and he was like, no man, Gary's in Slayer. Everyone has to get used to this. He is in Slayer, you know. And I was like, right, okay, so. He's in Slayer, then. Um, yeah, and at, at this point, I'm looking forward to the album with Gary on it eventually. You know, again, God willing, but I'm looking forward to the Gary album more than this new one that's about to come out. Yeah, have you um, have you heard anything yet? I've heard just the songs. Uh, you know, yeah. I've heard just what the uh, the other civilians have heard. I've heard the songs as they released them, but I haven't heard the entire album yet. I understand that there are some songs that are better than the ones we've heard. Um, I hope there are. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I, I can't divulge who, but somebody connected um, with the album. Well, somebody connected with the release of the album. Um, I, I met at um, Bloodstock Festival a couple of weeks ago, and, um, and, and I was talking about it, and, um, uh, and they said that you know it's, um, it, it, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a solid album. Um, you know, I don't think any Slayer, Slayer fans are going to be surprised by anything, um, but I certainly don't think they're going to be let down either. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, it sounds solid. It sounds like Slayer, certainly. I mean, what else were they going to do? But now that Carey's kind of in the position where he's trading leads with himself, it sounds kind of lonely to me. You know, without Jeff's guitar as a voice, even in the leads, it's... Uh, doesn't Gary missed. Doesn't Gary play, missed. Some le- Gary play some leads, though, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, Carrie plays uh, plays all the leads on it, but without, I mean, all Jeff would really do on the albums was his leads. I mean, Carrie plays almost everything on the albums. He plays the bass, he plays uh, all the rhythm, and he plays his part of the leads. Yeah, no, I thought I thought Gary played some leads on this album. Does he? I'm I'm not. Yeah, um, yeah, no, I think he plays some leads, but he wasn't in the writing process. Hmm. I'm not clear on that point. I could be wrong. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> wow, this is this is great, and you know, we'll uh, we'll we'll both end up just kind of guessing about the whole thing. Um, I guess we'll find out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, um, yeah, certainly. So, do you have um, going going off on a complete tangent? Well, no, not off on a complete tangent, because you you went right back and and for those that don't know, there's a there's a, a series of books called um um oh god, is it is it 33 and a third you're... yes 33 and a third yeah which is basically um for those listeners who don't know that it represents the um uh the speed with which you used to play um albums um on vinyl and still can funnily enough um and and so this is a series of books that's dedicated to sort of groundbreaking just awesome legendary albums and 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 you did rain in blood how how did that come about did you pitch them did they pitch you um you know uh, i pitched them the the let me back up the 33 and a third series is a series of books each one of them by a different author each one of them about a different classic album and it's everything from the beach boys to the beastie boys uh from the kinks to black sabbath a little bit of everything uh, the books they're doing more recently are on artists like uh, like Nas, Radiohead. Uh, they're, they're getting into a lot more uh, contemporary music. But it's, it's albums that are, for one reason or another, considered a classic. Uh, pretty prestigious. I mean, the, they didn't start off, but the publisher, the original publisher was Continuum that was bought by a British publisher called Bloomsbury. So technically, I'm on the same book uh, company that Neil Gaiman is. Uh, I, I think he's a little bit more of a priority to them, though. So anyhow, these series of books are each about a classic record. And I wanted to do one of those for a long time. Um, you know, I, I thought it would be fun to do one on the Beastie Boys, but a, a friend of mine beat me to it. And at that point, I thought, well, what is there? Um, what could I write about? And I looked down the list, and I realized there was no metal on it. So I, I was able to make the case to them, like, listen, you should have some metal in your list. I mean, you have everything else, but um, you really need some metal in there. And if you're going to get some metal in there, what better an album could you start with but Rain and Blood? You know, not only is it awesome, not only is it Slayer, this all-time iconic metal band, but the people involved with it went on to become legends in the larger world of rock and roll. You have Rick Rubin. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Record speaks for itself. Uh, it was released on Def Jam, one of the iconic rap labels of all time, which is an odd, odd bearing. Oh yeah, because you look at it even now and think, what the fuck? Yeah, exactly. Uh, was uh, engineered by Andy Wallace, who produced yeah. uh, Jeff Buckley's Grace. Uh, yeah, and, has done and, some really and Nirvana, Nevermind as well. 
What's that? He did Nevermind as well, didn't he, Andy Wallace? Uh, yeah, Nevermind, little album called Nevermind, yeah. rock album of, of some note. Yeah, Chaos AD by Sepultura, we could go on. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's kind of what cost him his Slayer gig. But so I said, listen, you know, it's this classic record made by all these people that became giants in the industry. And, you know, especially for Rick Rubin, at the time he was just some New York rap dude, or that's yeah. what he was known as. And Rain and Blood was very much his first step out of the rap ghetto, or, you know, it was treated as a ghetto, um, toward the big world of rock and roll, you know, until the point where now, you know, nearly 30 years later, Rick Rubin has worked with roughly 10% of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees. That's twice as many as Phil Spector worked with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so will... Slayer and their awesome thrash record was the beginning of him as a presence in the rock and roll world so they somehow they bought it they said okay we agree we you should write about this and i still i mean the book's been out for five years i still feel like i got away with something i'm scared (laughs) that they're gonna call me up and say no no Wait, Slayer, we made a mistake. Sorry, we need to pull this. No, dude. I, I, well, I look. Um, I can. I, I, I'm wholeheartedly validating the book, the concept. Um, your sales pitch makes complete sense. I mean, as you just said there, it really does. You know, it's like it's not. It's not just the history. It's not just like the making of one of, if not the greatest thrash record ever, but it also includes. Um, you know, one one of, if not the greatest producer of of modern times and his early days. So there's, I mean, like you know, like you said, there's there's a great crossover there. You're talking about a guy, like you said, worked worked with ten percent of the Hall of Fame. Who the hell has Slayer, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Neil Diamond, and Johnny Cash on their fucking speed dial? Yeah, amen. Yeah, amen. no one. Well, no one has Johnny Cash on the speed dial anymore. But you get my point. I mean, it's just like wow, you know. Um, and as a postscript, um, it's not just that he worked with Johnny Cash. It's not just that he worked with Neil Diamond. Those were two artists who had basically given up music. Yeah, you know, they, they. Oh, by the way, Slipknot as well. Let's throw that in there. Yes. Um, so yeah, those two artists had virtually given up music. You know, certainly recording. They didn't have. Re- they didn't really want to go back in the studio again. Um, and it was and it was him um, convincing um, Johnny Cash that he could do covers of Nine Inch Nails songs and people would love it. Um, and just his ability to help Neil Diamond fall in love with writing music again. I mean, the the album he did with Neil Diamond, um, I think it's twelve songs, is fucking amazing it yeah really it's good is. stuff and I mean it, as you pointed out he wasn't just a passing guy putting his name on their record to help them sell I mean he really reinvigorated their careers and what they did and he helped re he helped reestablish them not only as the, the icons that they are but as artists you know he made a true contribution to their sound Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, it, it, you know, in 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 both cases, he reinvented them. He, he made Johnny Cash a contemporary artist who was hitting the, who was hitting the charts, but not just the country charts anymore. And he hadn't troubled the national charts for you know, well, troubled as a bit harsh, but you know, he hadn't done much. And suddenly, he became contemporary and relevant, and everyone all of a sudden went, "Whoa, yeah, Johnny Cash, he's a fucking legend. We'd forgotten about him." And Neil Diamond, you know, brings in an acoustic album. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, it's just, and blood sugar, sex magic again, 
a a a water a, a watermark album is it watermark album i'm looking for that's it's not quite the um the word i'm looking for but um watershed yeah, that's the one thank you very much um yeah a watershed album rain and blood a watershed album and for and for slipknot and um uh and subliminal verses it was a watershed album because that was you know that was the first time that they that that, that album broke them out it broke them out of being playing you know certainly from a uk point of view from paying they went from playing city halls to playing arenas you know all of a sudden they were hitting the charts and and they were staying there instead of hitting and dropping um yeah i mean and, and that when you get to the slipknot part of his career i mean uh slipknot have some uh, wildly divergent opinions about how much Ruben contributed to that project. Uh, yeah, we're talking about Corey you Taylor's. Can't argue with the results. Yeah, yeah, we're talking about Corey Taylor's very, um, very Kerry King esque statements about yeah coming in with food in his beard and just lying on a sofa and really not doing much. Yeah, I mean that's one of the things that I kind of track over the course of the second Big Slayer book was you know Ruben's role over the years. You know what he, what did he contribute to Slayer? What did he not contribute to Slayer? What did he do and when? You know, you know, you know who else we've missed off the list right now. He worked with a little band called Metallica. <laughs> yeah, a little <laughs> promising American rock band. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but funnily enough, it's it's yeah. I mean, I think I think he's gone from from being an engineer and from being involved in the mix. He, he's almost like an exec producer now. And um, yeah, he's kind of the guy that now just turns up. Oh yeah, Black Sabbath. Almost forgot that. Um, I think you know both with well more with Metallica than Sabbath, but. He almost became a guy who sort of turns up once every two weeks and says more of that, less of that, and helps people get in touch with actually the kind of stuff they should be writing and who they, not so much who they are, but who they used to be, and they need to yeah exactly, and they need to find that and, again. You know, part of part of what he does in in his defense, I mean, you know, sometimes he's not present every day, but it's. It's hard to quantify the contributions of a guy like Rick Rubin. But know? but also, you know, you know that going in. And if you don't, you're a fucking idiot. He's not going to be there every day. He's not going to be sat at the desk for 12 hours twiddling the knobs with you. That's not what he does. He hasn't done that for a long time. Um, and yeah, you can, you know, people can say, oh, you know, yeah, it's all that. He doesn't really do all that and all the rest of it. This is a guy who was reading through... Um, uh, Anthony Kiedis's, um lyric book and found Under the Bridge and said, what's this? And Anthony said, oh, it's just a poem. It's not really for anything. And he turned around to Flea and said, Flea, you know that little bass ditty you've been playing the last few days that you said ain't really anything? And he was like, yeah. And he goes, why don't you and Anthony try and put these words to that ditty? There's Under the Bridge. Right. You know, I mean, it's like... I, you know, pe- pe- you know, people will always say, well, you know, I don't know, as, as you said, like maybe his, you know, his effect is, is a little bit nebulous. And it's like, if it takes him to turn around to two people who are in a band together and help marry words and music that go on to become one of the biggest songs of the decade, then I think he's probably a guy worth having around. Right. I mean, my, this is a little bit off topic, but my problem with, now we know- so much of modern music and modern heavy music is that it's become this factory product where you take this sound and this part and you do this thing and it's all like maybe a dozen interchangeable parts. 
And I think the producers, the role of true great producers has disappeared. Yeah. I mean, when I was living in England, uh, that's when Pink Floyd's Another Brick in the Wall was a big single. Yeah. Around the time they were having the education strikes and yeah. the kids were marching through the streets singing, we don't need no education. Um, but it, it took a producer like Bob Ezrin uh, to hear that little interlude of a song and think, let's put a disco beat over this and let's flesh it out into an entire song. And wow, you know, then you have this all time classic song. Uh, yeah. Guys like Rick Rubin can do that. Guys like Bob Ezrin can do that. And I think that producers who can enhance material like that and who can take what you're working on and spin it into pure gold, uh, I don't think we have a lot of them anymore. And if we do, they're too expensive to work with and they're not working with the right bands. You know, I think producers just kind of rubber stamp everything and get a general vibe going and say, eh, that's good enough, man, go with it. Yeah. yeah, and uh, I don't think music is better for that. No, I completely agree. And, and please, Dave, d there is no such thing as going off topic on this podcast. If we end up talking about your private collection of Star Wars figures, that's absolutely fine. There's, um, there, there... We will talk about Stig of the Dump and the Perishers if we get to <laughs> Ah, oh, Stig of the Dump. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of thinking we're roughly the same age. How old are you? Ah, uh, 42. Oh, I'm older than you then. Um, but how, how old are you? You're what, I'm, I'm 45. Okay, so same generation. Basically. Yeah, definitely. So when you were over here, we were of similar ages. So yeah, Stig of the Dump and, and Floyd the Wall and all the rest. It, it all chimes in with, uh, yeah, with, with my childhood as well. Um, exactly. Yeah, very much so. Do you know so. how The Boy from Space ends? Oh, good Lord, no, I do not. Neither do I. You see, I've been waiting since I left England to find out. <laughs> that was a team. So if any of your listeners know, if anybody out there wants to talk about uh, Stig of the Dump or the Boy from Space, please, please, please. Yeah, because you, you want to know how that ended and you haven't been able to find any internet search or anything. Yeah, we, we would watch it in school. Every week they would have another one of the, uh, the, the television adaptations of it. Yeah. But what, you never got, and you never got to the end of it? No. Oh man, that's gonna suck. Well, so the the DVDs are available in uh, Europe now, but uh, not for the American audience. Right. And I do hate the bootleg things. So. Well, I, well, one good. One day I'll find out. Oh, that's really but cool. If any of your listeners want to talk about it, DX Ferris at Twitter. Yeah, definitely at DX Ferris. People, come on, help the guy out. You know, he's you know that's that's got to be done. If I can't provide, if I if if we can't provide at least that service for you, then. Then this show and this podcast is nothing but a sham and a failure. Um, we we must we must come on bollockers out there, please help him out. And um, that's got to be done, man. That's got to be done. That'd be awesome. If we, and and please do please do let me know. And uh, uh, if we manage to sort you out with the ending of the boy the the boy boy from space. Is it, is, so do you, how how yeah. is acid rain working out for you? Is that going well? Oh, yeah, you see that? See the see, see see the way you managed to change it round? That that's the journalist in you that has spent thirty two minutes um, being happy to be the um, the interviewee, but it's kind of like that that it's that's that natural reaction coming out in you, isn't it? 
Yeah, I'm curious. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, very cool, actually. Um, it's uh, we've. I, I mean, uh, insane is the honest answer. I mean, the, the reaction to our first song for 25 years has been incredible. The fact that the band was a rebooted lineup, not the original lineup, and just me, is incredible. I mean, I, you know, we have had one negative comment from anyone saying like, "Well, it's just you and a bunch of bunch of people." Um, and I was kind of like, well, yeah, I tried and everybody one by one left. So this is what you get. And he was like, okay, cool. Fair enough. See you on the road. Um, everybody has been really positive about the, about the, you know, the, the single that we released. I mean, it, you know, we've had, we've had airplay from Wembley to West Africa and it's just, it's insane. I mean, we've, we've, we've had promoters in such from South America. We've been offered, um, uh, headline spots, uh, festivals. I mean, albeit second stages. We've. I mean, I, I, I'm emailing today, emailing a European agent who's come back and said, "Yep, yeah, we know you from back in the day. Definitely interested." Um, and here's an offer straight away for um, uh, for for a festival. And it's just like, oh my god, this is. So, just... what led you to reboot? Um, well, it was the rest of the band. Um, well, it wasn't the rest of the band. Long story short, guitarist had always poured cold, poured cold water on it. Um, uh, Kev, who was playing in um, Law Mode Death, and I turned up at their Christmas gig two years ago, and he was like, hey, 2015 is 25 years since Obnoxious, let's do some gigs. And I was like, right, this is the guy who's always said no. So I set about um, getting everybody else in line. They were like, yep, cool, let's do it. We did a couple of rehearsals up in Leeds. That was no problem. And then um, Ramsey and Adam, drums and drums and guitar, were rehearsing, getting tight, sorting everything out. And then out of the blue, uh, Ramsey quit, um, and then he had his reasons. And then Adam decided to follow him, and he had his reasons. Did you hear that? <laughs> oh, Sorry, go ahead. Classic. Um, so yeah, they had their um, uh, they, they had their reasons. So it ended up being me, Paul, the guitarist who was going to fill in for Kev when he wasn't available, uh, and Mac, and Kev unable to commit because he's always on the road. So it was, it was the three of us left, and I said, "Well, fuck it, let's try and put a new a new lineup together." And then in February, just as it was all coming together, Mac had to had to um, leave as well. So all of a sudden it it was just me. It was me and Mac right up until the last minute from the original lineup, but then he had to pull. Um and 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 that's how. So it was kind of weird because I you know, I've got my own stand-up comedy career and when when it initially when the whole reboot, sorry, the whole reformation was suggested, I was probably more tentative than anybody else because I've continued to perform and I have a career out there and that part of me is being is being nourished. So um, I was a little bit kind of okay, guys. I'm I'm not so sure about this, and everybody was like, "No, come on, let's do it." And then about eighteen months later, they'd all fucked off, and it was just me sat there going, "Oh, but I want to do it now, you bastards." <laughs> um, so I mean, it it wasn't something that was in the back of your head for twenty five years, thinking, "Well, I'll always get back to this." No, or one day I'll get back to this. Um, no, it wasn't. To be honest, I didn't think it was ever going to happen, and um, I was, uh, you know, I, I was happy doing my comedy, and admittedly playing playing metal festivals like Download and Bloodstock whilst doing comedy was awesome, and I always made sure that I finished with a um, uh, with a 
uh, a kind of karaoke version of Walk by Pantera, which is the closest thing to experiencing my old music career as I could. And doing stand-up at a music festival is the same, uh, the closest I could get to it. So, you know, playing a tent in download in front of 1,200 people and, and smashing the fuck out of it as a, as a comedian was just awesome. And finishing it off with a Pantera karaoke was even more awesome. And yeah, I can't lie. I came off stage thinking, wow, that was fucking great. But I came off thinking, wow, that was fucking great. But my head was still in a comedy place because, you know, I, I, I kind of knew that the band was never going to happen. That there was people, you know, Kev was pretty much saying, no, this is not going to happen. So then... When that changed, it, it, it really did knock me for six. Um, and and I really spent a lot... You know, I, I had to kind of process whether I wanted to do it or not. And I just... It was baby steps for me. And then, and then I committed. And then it started gathering pace. And then everybody fucked off. And, and by that point, I was like, no, God damn it, I'm going to fucking do this. <laughs> so um yeah there was definitely a time there where I where I thought now nah, it's gone but then I kind of thought well no fuck it let's let's do it and now yeah it, it it's back and, and 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 I'm and I'm really glad I did I'm really So really how glad much of your as as a comedian how much of your audience is an overlap with your metal days is there any No none whatsoever I you know I perform in comedy clubs where people go to see stand up comedy and be made laugh um and that's it. Um, and if, I mean, you know, occasionally I'll get a metaler come up to me after the show and go, cool, dude. I, you know, I was, I was here because I know that, because I do a character called Keith Platt. Um, and I, you know, I know that they, they, you know, sometimes they come up to me afterwards and go, oh, that was really cool. And we'll talk about Acid Rain a bit and stuff like that. But, but I, I should have, I should have been better about looking up your stand up material. No, no, you. not at all, man. It's me and But your act isn't. So what's the deal with Metallica? No, no, I, I haven't gone down that route at all. Um, it's it's pure stand up. I don't I don't trade on my metal background. I don't uh, you know that's 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 not what it is. It's it's completely separate. Um, and 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 that's kind of weird actually because it's um, yeah it's just it's never really I you know I I I I don't look like your typical metaler. I suppose that's that would be a good basis for for stand up but it's um yeah it's i've always kept it like pretty pretty separate um i'm i'm kind of interested in doing some some spoken word slash taking talking bollocks on the road um and doing kind of like spoken word and then a free form kind of chat interview with a metal celebrity from each city and making it a free form with the audience where I act as a moderator as well and creating some kind of show there, which I, I think would be an interesting format, but um, basically this has to get a lot more fucking successful before before any of that shit goes down because I'm not... So quite... how, in, in America, it seems like the podcast scene is very comedian-driven, or maybe it's just the ones I listen to, but I mean, yeah. the people who are best at podcasting and most invested in it tend to be comedians i mean there are other good people of course but is it like that in the uk yeah i will to be honest i i you know most of the things i mean I, the only I, i'm quite choosy the only comedian podcast that i listen to is bill burt um and bearing in mind he puts out two podcasts a week at the moment there's pretty much no room for anyone else um but I, yeah so i i listen to but yeah i mean the reason being is that it, it it's it's perfect for comedians because it's it, it's like stand up it's isolated it's you on your own um it's unfiltered 
um, and 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 that is very much what stand up is about. So it, it works perfectly. Um, I mean, I'm kind of, I suppose I, you know, I'm sort of combining it with music, which is my other great passion in life. Um, uh, but it's, you know, it's kind of a vehicle for, it's a kind of a vehicle for, it, you know, it, it kind of nourishes the stand up in me and the and the comic, sorry, the stand up in me and the the musician in me and the music fan in me because I get to talk to people like you and have cool conversations, which is something that I love doing and and apparently people love listening to it as well which is which is awesome nice so, but so you never have mixed together the metal and the comedy thing and the reason that I ask is I'm thinking about doing that I mean I have a terrible web comic that I draw and I'm thinking about spinning that off into some stand up but I'm busy and I'm old and I get tired easy and <laughs> I don't I don't feel like socializing enough to to do the work that would allow me to have a stand-up career? Well, look, A, um, you're older than me, so stop using age as an excuse. Uh, sorry, you're younger than me, so stop using age as an excuse. And it is exactly that. It's an excuse. It's a mindset. I'm not one of these, oh, age is just a number. It isn't. Your fucking knees creak. You don't sleep as well. You get up twice to go to the toilet in the night. Age is not a fucking number. It's a reality. But, you do not have to let it inform who you are or what you do. I mean, recently um, I had I had a, I had an ACL operation and I also had a hernia operation. Now they yeah. th- now those are two operations that can happen to anybody at any age. But as soon as I put anything about it on Facebook, all my friends come out the woodwork going, "Oh, that's what happens when you get old." And you know what? That's just them and their insecurities about how they processing their age and failing and they like to they like to project that onto me and and i came back with to the same the same to all of them which was like well at the time a footballer in england quite well known one called theo walcott had um 22 years old had the acl operation same operation i had it comes from an impact injury it can happen at any time in your life but that is people wanting to drag you down to how they feel about their age. So I do realize I'm coming off like some sort of um, therapist now. But man. No, that's, you know, one, one of the things that I really like about podcasting, and I am a huge fan of podcasts, by the way. I really, I listen to them a lot. And my, as I've lost interest in music because of whatever reasons for, of modern music, I've become more and more interested in podcasting. And part of what I, I like about it is that it has this undercurrent of motivational literature to it. You know, people uh, are always <laughs> yeah. talking about what it takes to be successful and to get their career going and what it takes to launch what amounts to pretty much an independent business with the musicians. Yeah. And yeah, that's kind of where my career is now. I don't listen to much music. I don't write about too much music, but I'm I'm keenly interested in, uh, you know, the last two books that I published have been motivational books, how-to books, um, what The Simpsons called successmanship. <laughs> yeah. So I'm interested in talking about this kind of thing, you know, just the mindset of success. Uh, and that's one of the things that I get out of podcasts. Well, I, t- I mean, uh, um, hopefully um, you, you, you've added us to your um, your list of podcasts, although I do appreciate that they can go on a bit. Um, I mean, you know, three and a half hours is, um, is, is fairly standard, and I know that's a, a bit too much for some people. But, um, but even so, um, no, so uh, look, we're going to get back to this stand-up thing. And, um, and like, yeah, I know what you mean. Everything else you said... 
um, which was about not enjoying socialising, getting tired easily, not wanting to speak to people, etc. That makes you perfect for stand-up because <laughs> most stand-ups are, are grumpy fuckers. Um, and, and, you know, we don't like the audiences we perform to. Um, it's, it's rare that we do, and when we do, it's a special time, it's a special moment. Um, it is, uh, you are performing mostly to usually people who are, who are drunk, um, people don't, you don't see people's best sides, um, you know, where, when they are. So that's, um, obviously, um, but yeah, the other things you said were absolutely spot on. Now, if you want a stand up career, it's up to you. You can go out and yeah, sure. You're starting late. So fucking what? doesn't matter. Do you want to be, do you want to be filling stadiums? Probably not. You know, you, 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 your level of what you would call success it, it, and whatever level you want is per, is perfectly attainable. But um, uh, I, I would certainly, if if you enjoy podcasting and you enjoy listening to podcasting, then do what I did. Start a podcast because the best way to learn how to do a podcast is by listening to lots. So you're halfway there already. I mean, you're, you know, you're 50% done. Um, the rest is actually just doing it. You know, you've got a good quality mic already. Um uh, you know, I, the, uh, you, I, as I think you were kind of talking about, you like the free form of it. And, you know, I mean, much, Christ, mine are very free form. They're all over the place. And that's not for everyone. But I like that. I like the ability for the fact, for instance, look at look at now. Look at the tangent we're going on. But this is the kind of stuff that people will tweet me about and say, that was really interesting. And just because this is a music podcast... You know, I get, I, you know, I one of, one of my favorite episodes from or the people that listen. One of their favorite episodes is when I was talking to Bobby Blitz, and we spent twenty minutes talking about his um, his girlfriend's um, upmarket Belgian chocolate shop in Manhattan and his art collection. Hmm. You know, fuck all to do with overkill and metal and back and all of that shit. People want to hear the stuff they don't normally hear. So you know, I I think I damn DX Ferris podcast. I'm I'm tuning in definitely. Well, I also realize that if you're doing it right, a lot of engineering work has to go into it too. <laughs> well, well, you really you really haven't listened. You really haven't listened to my podcast, the, have you? Uh, the metal thing because I I have a little bit of metal material, and I'm curious. Right. Well, I guess I can't find out until I really road test it, though. No, you, you can't. Know, I'm curious and if I can rely on the metal thing, or if I should try to tap more into the dad thing that I do with my with my comic strip, or maybe a little bit of both. Well, man, seriously, thanks, thanks for the uh, the compliment, the uh, the unknown compliment you paid me. But there is fuck all engineering required in this. I have a mic. I have. I downloaded free software. And I plug the mic in. You use it. You need a mic with phantom power. Costs fifty pounds. Plug it in. Away you go. That's it. What what software do you use? Um, hang on a sec. Can't even remember. I I, I forgot what it's called. Um... I like a program called Sound Sculptor. Right. Well, I'm using. It's I'm using. Really your... good. A lot of people like Audacity. All my podcaster friends use Audacity. And that's what I'm on. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good program. But Sound Sculptor. Yeah. It's... It's a couple uh, couple pounds, but it's worth it. Right. Okay. So let's. Right. So you've got you've got the ability to you've definitely got the ability to podcast because you listen to so much. So you know the do's and don'ts. You know you want to keep your audience engaged, and you've got to talk to the mic like it's a person, so people don't think that it sounds like some guy reading a book. So you've got that. You know that you've got that down. 
you know what software you want to use um and you've got topics various topics that that you can cover and you've got a will to do it so dude i'm waiting for the first episode i i have a master plan i'll talk to you off mike i mean i yeah, I cool. have a plan for getting from here to there, but I don't want to tip my hand with what I'm going to do because I think it's a very doable uh, thing, and I don't want somebody else to take it. Well, cool. No, tell so me we'll off. Talk the... about it more. Yeah, we'll, we'll go off, Mike. Tell me about it, and I'll fucking rip you off. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, that... So was was Anthrax an influence on? Uh, oh on yeah, 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 yeah. We're not doing that again, man. We're not. We're, 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 no, no, no. I, I... But I, I like I like the kind of music that you make. I mean, oh, thank that, you. That kind of moshy beat that I always associated with the Anthrax. Um, well, well, thank you very much. We've uh, and obviously we had a bit. You know, we didn't play with um, po faces and we we wore board shorts and um, and yeah, Anthrax is an easy comparison to make. But I, you know. Uh, at the time, we were just we were you know we were all fans of what are known as the Big Four. Now, I mean, you know, Creative Restraint, the opener from Obnoxious. That's you know, I the Beholder from and from Justice. That's that's you know, that's a nod there. And there, there's 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 all sorts of influences going on. Um, I, I I'm too close to it to be able to say. I mean, you know, sure we like we liked Anthrax, but we also like Metallica and yeah. we also like Slayer. One of the things and, I liked about uh, I like about the uh the band is that you sound british i mean like it's it's straight up thrash but you're not trying to sound american i mean you're being yourself yes you're not trying to imitate american people you're doing your own thing and it has a british flavor on it and that is something that i think is missing from too much art well uh, well it's um thank you very much and that was that was always our you know you look at you look at the album art we did no one did no one did shit like that um basically we also had a punk ethic we didn't give a shit you know that's that's basically our live shows were us not giving a shit which of course completely breaks the rule of metal live shows everything should be run like clockwork and be you know absolutely spot on and we were just kind of like no we we're, we're here to have a good time we're here to hope and and you know we did exactly that and i i can't sound american so and I, I wouldn't want to, you know, I'm just, I'm just me. I do what I do. And I'm, you know, people either love it, hate it, or don't give a shit. That's uh, up to them. I, I don't have any control over that. So, uh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm a real, that's a, that's a real compliment. I appreciate it. Yeah. And, you know, back to the, the poverty of modern music, it's just all yeah. these people that are allegedly in a creative field, but they're just blindly regurgitating these, you know, tropes and styles and doing things that they've seen other people do. And that's not creative. Well, I think I think um, not for the first time in its history, but more so than ever, uh, metal has become extremely formulaic, um, and not just metal itself, not just you know what bands are doing, but the the way you're hearing it and and the sounds and the production and everything else. Exactly, and it's bad. So let's talk about something else. <laughs> wow, you so, really... I mean, you, you mentioned punk. Punk is something that... I'm a big punk fan and hardcore. You know, I've always been a metal fan. I, I never... Uh, I could never dress the part as a punk. I've always been bad at, at cultivating a look. But that's that's something that has been important to me over the years. It's one of the reasons why I did the second Slayer book the way I did. The first one is part of a very big established series from a major press the second one i just published by myself uh, and i wound up launching my own uh 
press after that, you know, I've published my own books by myself and by others at this point, 6623 Press. And, um, you know, I didn't intend for the second Slayer book to be a full-size book. It just happened that way. Cool. And eventually I realized, like, wait, I can, I can do this myself. Why would I have somebody else do it? And you know what? If I'm doing it myself, I can do whatever the fuck I want with it. So yeah. if you look at my second book, it looks like it was put together by a 15-year-old, but that's kind of the point to it. Oh, man, I, I, I totally got that. I totally bought it. As soon as, as soon as I saw it, I was like, yeah, cool. This looks like a scrapbook, you know, on, on cursory view when you see, like, the front page and everything. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm all over that. And the, the original plan for it, if you look at the back, I mean, the back of it has a, uh, has a spiral notebook, the kind you'd use in school. Oh, actually, do you know what? I've got, I've got a confession to make now. I've just realized I, uh, I had to, uh, unfortunately, the only way I could get it over here was download it. Um, it it's not, there's no physical release in the UK, or at least there wasn't at the time. It, cause I got you can, it. Uh, yeah, how, if you got it early, it wasn't there. You can no. get it on Amazon now. Ah, mm-hmm. right, because I, I got it as soon as it came out. I mean, you know, as soon as it was available in the UK, I, um, I, was, I was all over that. So you can get it now. Just go to uh, go to Amazon, and it's there. It's there for you. Oh, awesome, man! Well, yeah, and the, and the I original strongly was suggest going everyone to be a, does. a notebook, just like a notebook with a Slayer sticker on it, and uh, you know, me penning in everything and making the Slayer logo. And I wound up getting an amazing photo that I just couldn't say no to. Right. But the idea was for it to to be as punk rock as possible. Uh, and I, well, you know, unfortunately, like I said, the digital version didn't cover that. But but I but the, just the front cover, I knew that. Yeah, that's you know, it just looks straight away like something um, homemade. You know that, and that, and that is the um, that's kind of almost the the ethos of, of of thrash back then when it started. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you. You know, it, that's it, it, yeah. It was it was kind of like you know, hand in glove, really. Um, so you, so all of a sudden, you ended up with this, you know, this book on your hands. That must have been a kind of a weird feeling. Yeah, it was. It really was. Like, um, yeah, I've I've told this story before, and I'll, I'll try to make it as, as short as possible. But like I said, I didn't set out to write a big long second book about Slayer. It just kind of happened. Uh, the original intent was when Lombardo left the band the third time. Uh, in 2013, February, you know, metal fans are excitable. People on the internet were talking about Lombardo this and Slayer that, and they should do this and they shouldn't do that. And they were acting like it was the first time Lombardo ever left the band. And, you know, as somebody that has been a fan of the band since the 80s, I thought, well, no. I mean, Slayer uh, and Lombardo have parted ways twice before. This is nothing new. So the idea was to put together a short little ebook about the turbulent relationship that they had had and kind of put the modern news into perspective. And I started writing it in February. Uh, I wanted to have it out in April, and I couldn't get it done for April. And I wanted to have it done by May, and I couldn't get it done for May. I kept getting sick, and my kids would get sick, and every time I would sit down to work, Uh, The phone would ring and something would happen and I'd have to go pick up one of my kids from school. So I wanted to write a book that was like 12,000 words long and I had half of it written. So there was no reason that it should have taken me more than three months to write the damn thing, right? 
Yeah. So April rolls around. I can't do it. May rolls around. It's not done yet. And I'm pissed at myself. Like, cause it should have been done. And I feel like there's something wrong with me and I feel incompetent and I feel like a plonka. <laughs> um, nice English. And so that's, that's May 1st, 2013. I'm angry. May 2nd rolls around. I'm still angry at myself. Like, damn it. It's May now. And the book isn't out and I wanted it to be just furious. And then like seven o'clock at night, May 2nd, um, uh, the news breaks in the U.S. Jeff Hanneman has died. Wow. Which I mean, hits. I I got goosebumps just thinking about it. You know, I mean, yeah. We knew he was sick. We knew that something was wrong. We knew that he hadn't been back in the band for a while. But nobody, nobody, yeah, outside the band's immediate circle thought that it was deadly. Well, nobody n- thought that Hanneman was going to die. Well, n- yeah, none of the ba- well, the band certainly seemed to think that that was the case. They they didn't think he was. Yeah, so there I am with a Slayer book half written and Jeff dies. Um, Now I had to reevaluate the whole project. So I wound up, um, I had to write a little bit more about this and a little bit more about that. And next thing you know, a few months later, bam, full-size Slayer biography. 66 and two-thirds, the Jeff and Dave years. Yeah, yeah. uh, Did you you have... Um, any contact with the band at all, or was, or, or did you basically have to work without them? I I worked with the band on the first book. I've interviewed everybody in the band, and when I wrote the first book, I had a lot, lot, lot of good stuff left over. But the assignment with the first book was to write about the album "Rain and Blood." Yeah, yeah, not the tour even necessarily, because a lot of interesting stuff happened on the tour. <laughs> yeah. And, they just wanted a book about the making of the Rain and Blood album and what it means and what the what the album's place is in the grand story of rock and roll. So I had a lot of good stuff left over, and I had interviewed them after the book came over for this, that, and the other thing. Uh, I made my name as a music journalist. So I was always writing little stories about this and that, so I'd interviewed the band uh, a fair amount over the years. But after Hanneman died, I just went back and took a look at what I had, and I wound up wound up covering the Slayer story for the year as kind of a breaking news story, as I do as a journalist. Uh, you know, I read this article and that article, and yet the, the immediate aftermath of Hanneman's death, the band weren't talking to many people and they weren't being really forthright, I felt, in some of their answers and they weren't really, um, I don't want to say honestly, but they weren't openly communicating with what was going on with the band and they had a good incentive not to. So I didn't have a lot of uh, fresh original material from immediately after Hanneman died. But there is a lot of stuff that I had that was original that had never, that I'd never seen put anywhere else. I'd never seen them talk about before. So, yes and no. Yeah, there there is some exclusive stuff from the band in there that's original, and a lot of it is kind of a uh, comprehensive look at all the best stories that other people wrote and the stuff that they uh, had said in the year after Jeff died, and um, yeah. So were you? I mean, were you? Were you kind of like? I mean, obviously, as we said, we're we're, we're quite close in age. So were you um, into the first wave of thrash? Was that all? You know, was that your kind of? Was that your thing? 
Yeah, I mean, my uh, my evolution growing up as uh, as a, a fan of '80s music. I was listening to the same pop music that everybody was listening to. Yeah, uh, you know, Michael Jackson and whatnot. Uh, came of age when radio was still what it used to be, when you could turn on the radio and you could hear ACDC on the same uh, station that you could hear Michael Jackson on. Yeah. And you could hear a local artist like Donnie Iris and the Cruisers, and then you could hear Pac-Man Fever, you know, a hit record. And radio was still radio, you know, Joan Jett snuck in there. Um, and then... Uh, you know, it got more and more adventurous. The MTV era came around, and I really liked Duran Duran. I was a big fan of them. Yeah. And everybody sort of moved on beyond them to whatever else was new in America. And I thought, no, 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 wait, I'm not done with Duran Duran yet. Let's let's see where this goes. And um, that that was kind of my wheelhouse until I discovered this band called Motley Crue. And right. That made me think, like, whoa, ho, 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 this is something. Uh, Quiet Riot came along and really made heavy metal a thing in the United States. And that's kind of where I was. And then I heard Metallica on the radio one night from an excellent American radio show called Metal Shop that was syndicated. I don't know if it made it into the UK. No, I don't think it did. But one night coming home uh, from a pro wrestling event tells you where I'm coming from. <laughs> uh, they played Fight Fire with Fire. You know, and the intro for that song starts off and it sounds yeah. like Dio's the last in line. I was a big Dio fan. That was kind of my, Me too. my favorite thing at the time. Me too. Acid Rain's first ever song was a cover version of um, Hungry for Heaven. Really? Yeah. I knew you were cool. Well, the band, thank you. The band that went on to become Acid Rain. Yeah, that was the that was the first thing that we did. What made I know this isn't about you and I'm doing it again. Sorry. <laughs> but what what made Hungry for Heaven the song that you chose? Um, we didn't. It's just it, it happened by accident at rehearsal. The guitarist happened to know it and he started playing it and the drummer knew it and that's how that's how shit comes together sometimes in a band, you know. Um, and before you knew it, we'd got th- we'd got three quarters of the way through it, and we're all looking at each other, going, "Fuck me, we're going to get to the end. This is awesome." <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, so yeah, anyway, fight fight. So was yeah, fire. I went from Dio to Metallica, and then uh, I was yeah. I was hooked. I was I was on to Metallica. That was, you know, uh, th- I threw my life every time I kind of discover new bands. Like there's a certain amount of my old friends that can't hang with it, and they wind up just being left behind in the dust. Like, sorry, I'm going over here now, guys. Yeah, thrash. And then I heard uh, Slayer's Hell Awaits, and oof, that changed my life. You know, that's I can remember hearing that song for the first time. I can remember reacting to it. Um, it just it cracked my world in half, and I'm still here talking about them 30 years later. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I, yeah, I, I think you know Slayer are one of those bands that yeah, you re- like Slayer, Metallica. I think any of the you, know, you remember the almost like you know it's almost like that Metal Kennedy moment. You know, where were you when you first heard? Everybody remembers when they where they were when they first heard like Slayer for the first time and um... yeah, and Slayer thirty years later have never disappointed me. You know, yesterday I don't know when this is uh, going out, but yesterday was the twenty fifth anniversary of uh, Metallica's Injustice for All or twenty fifth birthday. Yeah, um, and it took me until yesterday to realize consciously to come to grips with how much I don't like that album. <laughs> right, I mean, okay. At some point, like in Metallica, especially with the black album, they released these records that 
I was a huge Metallica fan, and you're so excited for years for the new one to come out, and then it comes out, and <laughs> you know you can hear wheels squeal, and there's just something wrong. And the Black Album was like that for me. You know, I've, I've been able to deal with how much I don't like that album, but it only hit me yesterday. Like I don't like Injustice for All. It's not exciting. It's yeah. not what I wanted from Metallica. It doesn't make me want to explode in the way that Fight Fire with Fire and Creeping Death do, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Um I just want to I want to skate backwards a little bit there because um one of my one of my early metal one of my early metal heroes, one of my all-time metal heroes um and and somebody that I was that I got into slowly um pre-thrash was um was Dio. Um, you know, I, I, I got into Dio and I think probably you did as well, um, without knowing his Black Sabbath past, you know, just as I was kind of discovering metal, Dio came out, you know, I got, I got the Holy Diver single before the Holy Diver album came out. Um, and, and so to me, there were, there was, you know, it was just this new band with this fucking amazing singer. Um, and I'm, I mean, those, you know especially the first two records and to a certain extent the third um they just i yeah i was just an i was just an absolute dio devotee absolutely yeah dio is is a guy that um i I think i respect and like him more now than i did as an eighth grader when i was completely obsessive about him you know as a kid i mean i loved him but the older i get the more respect i have for him because he never sold out and he never watered it down and he never changed and he never chased success. And well, yeah, I mean, I remember, I remember in the eighties over here, they got to a stage, no, so probably the nineties over here where he got to a stage where, where magazines like Kerrang and Pandora peroxide and the heavy metal cartoon strip that used to run in there was just openly mocking him, you know, and really taking the piss out of it. And, 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 you know, Oh, here comes Ronnie. Oh, how many songs about dragons and rainbows and stuff like that. And he just kept doing what he did and it got smaller and smaller, but he hung in there and it, and, and it came back around from him. And anybody who is even slightly disappointed in the Black Sabbath Black Sabbath album thirteen needs to go and listen to the Heaven and Hell album that um, that Ronnie did with the original Sabbath lineup, which is just fucking awesome. Yeah, all all of Black Sabbath's later stuff is is unduly slagged, I think, but especially the Dio stuff. I mean, it's it's a different thing if you don't want to call it Black Sabbath. Hey, don't. But um, I mean, I think unlike Van Hagar. But we'll did but did you I listen think, to um, um did you listen to the heaven and hell you know the band heaven and hell yeah yeah, yeah I mean I mean the reunion that album, I mean that is made just the a devil great... cry which I know was uh, that was on the um, the best of compilation it's not really uh, part of the proper album I didn't yeah. like that I think that's bad but no the album itself very good respectable yeah absolutely and 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 such a um so you know what a voice what a what a guy and i mean certainly myself as well as a as a as a vocalist i mean just as such an inspiration um you know i mean yeah how that massive voice comes from such a small guy i'll never know but also the fact that one of my favorite stories about him is um uh, and i can't remember who tells this story but it was somebody who was on the road with him and um and um 
and they and he was chatting to Ronnie in his dressing room before he was due to go on stage and the guy goes and he says to the guy look I, I gotta do my warm up and he's like oh okay that's cool do you want me to leave he goes no 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 stay here and, and Ronnie just fucking takes out takes out a uh, a joint and starts smoking a joint and he goes this is my warm up <laughs> that's it I mean you know fucking hell what a, and and that was I really really did knock me for six when 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 he died. I mean, you know, him and Jeff, yeah. I mean, metal you know. dudes. I I'm not gonna lie. I got weepy. You know, I, I oh took yeah, my last in line tape out in the garage, and I'm sitting there like you know. <laughs> yeah, well, James Dio's gone. Well, the thing is, it's a part, and and I know this sounds cheesy and corny, which of course us Brits are terrible at, but you know, when when Ronnie died, a part of your childhood died with him. You know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, that's that's how I feel about Hanneman. Same um, here. Same here. And I, you know, I've if you follow me on Twitter, I spend a lot of time bitching about music writers because it's an undisciplined field, and it's only getting worse. And the business that surrounds music writing makes it worse. And it's a system that's set up to reward the worst bullshit impulses and the best people. <sighs> aren't the most visible ones and music writing sucks and it's stupid and it's pointless but then somebody like Dio dies and then somebody like Jeff Hanneman dies and then they're gone yeah and now there are things that we're never going to know about Jeff Hanneman and what went on in his head um you know Dio was certainly gracious about giving interviews but when those guys die, all of a sudden, you know, I say that this work doesn't mean anything and I say there's no point to it, but I really do believe in it. You know, it's important to talk to people like Jeff Hanneman and record their thoughts and ask them random questions and get their perspective on this, that, and the other thing because they won't be there forever, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um... and, you know, I mean, take Jeff Hanneman and then jump forward to 15 years from now when metal guys are going to be dropping off left and right yeah you know he went way too soon but the day will come when you know dave mustaine's not going to be with us anymore when james headfield is not with us anymore yeah and then the work that people like joel mciver do uh i don't know if, if i do that much of it but you know metal journalism really does mean something you know these are people that mean something to us in our lives these are people that contribute to our culture um it's important to do this work, and as for as much as I gripe about it, um, maybe it's not worthless. Certainly not in Jeff Hanneman's case. Well, no, I agree, and I mean, you know, you see people like we you know we lost Dio, we lost Jeff, and yet, you know, put uh, you know Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley still walk the earth. It's just it's not a fair world. Um, uh, I'm I'm not a Kiss fan, I'm afraid, but um, it, it's like you say, it, it's really. There, there, there comes a time. Yeah, there is coming a time where it's gonna, it's, it's really, it's gonna be like, it's gonna knock us all sideways. Um, and and funnily enough, I um, I actually wrote a piece because um, I I admin the the Acid Rain Facebook page, and um, uh, the day when I found out about Jeff, um, I was I was walking um, to work at the time, and um, I was walking there. Just doing a bit of temping and stuff, and it's walked uh, as I was walking there. I was thinking, um, I just felt you know, I felt down, depressed, like I'd lost a close friend. Um, and I just thought, how is this going to play out in 
a situation whereby people are going to be able to tell that um, I'm that I'm not myself, and they're going to ask what's wrong, and I'm going to say that you know guitarist and Slayer has died, and they're going to look at me like, yeah, and what else? And how do I explain to them what a big thing that is? So I just kind of sat down and and wrote a piece. It took me about five minutes, but it was just all the best writing for me. And I'm sure, I don't know if it's for you, but it's all the best writing for me just, just flows, just comes out. Um, and, I, and I wrote it out in about 10 minutes. I edited it a couple of, a couple of times and then I just posted it on the Acid Rain Facebook page. And it was just basically why I felt like I felt and you know to the untrained reader read that don't ask me to explain just read that and I put it on there and it just went it just went nuts absolutely I mean like you know crazy 60,000 views being shared all over the place you name it that it was appearing everywhere is that still up um you I think you can find it I think you can find it um I'll look for it yeah well I'll tell you what I'll look for it I'll try and send you a link yeah, but, but what everybody said, and it was like, I mean, you know, we were, I was getting, you know, the hundreds and hundreds of comments on Facebook. And then funnily enough, Rob Flynn wrote about Jeff Hanneman, Jeff Hanneman dying and about about some stories that when he toured with Slayer. Yeah, I quote that in the book. Yeah, well, when it, in, in, in his blog, um, people comment on his blog and about five comments down from... The, the 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 stories that I'd been reading that Rob had published about five comments down on Rob's blog was a link to my article on the Acid Rain page saying this guy nailed it. Really? <laughs> yeah, and it was just like wow, and it, it was it yeah. Was... Please uh, find that. I'll look for it. But, but if I can't find it, yeah, no, I'll sure. No, I'll I'll, I'll I'll try and dig it out. I'll try and dig it out. But the but the kind of the point I'm making is that is that not hey wow I wrote this great thing. I just, I just, I was just in a position to be able to say what other people were feeling, you know, and and it was just, we all felt the same. We all felt like we'd lost a family member, you know. We've lost, because when you're growing up, you know, the the you know, especially when we were growing up, thrash metal, whatever it was, that you know, you became part of the heavy metal family, uh, and in that family, the bands are the parents. And so when one of them dies, you really are, you're struggling with emotions that normally would be, you know, grief at the loss of somebody that you know very closely, as opposed to somebody that you've only ever seen from the pit. And it, it, it's it's kind of hard to explain to people who don't understand. Um, yeah, and I, you, know, you know, I find it weird now that a song like Raining Blood can make me sad. You know, it's it's awesome, and I enjoy it, and I love it. But at the same time, like, there's that little twinge of, oh, Jeff's dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. I know. What you mean. I have I have very much the same with um, with Dio stuff. Um, yeah, and, and yeah, same thing. You know, Last in Line absolutely brings out that little pang. Yes. You know, it's yeah. it's it's kind of my thesis that you know, and this is kind of at the heart of. Uh, the comic strip that I draw, Suburban Metal Dad, like it's I think that metal is more useful to you when you're older. But most people listen to it when they're 15 and then they turn 20 and they forget about it. And they say, well, yeah, that's something I used to listen to. But I think metal makes more sense when you're older. 
I think metal makes more sense when you have to deal with a middle manager, when you have to deal with a boss, when you're stuck in a job that you know you have to ride out to get your pension, uh, when you have kids and you don't have as much time for yourself. That's when you're angry, you know, or that's when you feel trapped, or that's when you, you know, or you have a family that you need to take care of, so you can't punch a motherfucker who's asking for it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that's when something like loud, aggressive, hard music really does feed your soul and help you let those angry feelings out, you know, more so than you could have imagined when you were 15 and, and you had these four favorite bands that you loved. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. I think I think I think that trumps um, teenage righteous righteous indignation. You know. Yeah, and I mean, you know, which is not to trivialize it. I no, know, not at all. As a teenager, it's the most important thing you have in the world. Absolutely. As an adult, you you could turn to so many things, um, but metal's still there for you. You know, metal makes more sense when you're 42. I think than it did it when you're 15 well yeah and also it's like i mean just going to metal shows and stuff they 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 represent a unique little point in your life when you're when you're older where you can go and a reconnect kind of reconnect with your youth but reconnect with a with a part of you that still just wants to go to a metal show and go fucking crazy and just enjoy themselves and have a few beers and for those few hours you know you're not you're not assistant manager you're not um you know the sales system whatever you are just you're back to being you and who you really are who you really truly are exactly exactly hey i I got like 15 minutes uh, so if there's anything that you want to make sure you you got to cover up, sorry, I got to go to work. Yeah, speaking yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of which, yeah, no worries, man. I could I could do this all day. Well, I tell you what, should we um should we um should we wrap up there because that's actually quite a nice point where we've come all the way back round to actually you know just talking about going to a metal show and and just you know reconnecting with all of that kind of stuff. I think that's a nice place to leave it. And I know you wanted to talk about um the the podcast stuff as well. So why don't we um why don't we uh, uh on air on air at least um say goodbye and um uh and joel uh, 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 <laughs> dave thank you so much for coming on and um and talking bollocks with me it's been um it's been an absolute pleasure it was a pleasure to talk bollocks with you hold on a second hey baby i'll, I'll be up in a minute okay that's all right. <laughs> Speaking of being a metal dad. Man, that's, that's fucking perfect. That's the perfect place to end it. That really is. Awesome. Well, hey, uh, both of my Slayer books are available at Amazon. You can get hard copies. You can get uh, oh, man, about, uh, copies. Oh, look, don't worry about the advert, man. I'll do that. Okay. Don't worry. I'll be doing that, and there'll be links, and yeah, no problem. Excellent. So there you go. Uh, what a top chat that was. Uh, could, that, that, could that have sounded more Alan Partridge? Top chat. Um, didn't mean to. So um, yeah, that was our uh, that was our conversation. Uh, really cool to uh, to catch up with Dave, as uh, as uh, I'm now allowed to call him. Um, really, really nice guy. Really nice guy. Um, and uh, just yeah, it was it was really really cool to um, 
to have a chat. As you can see, fascinating bloke, really got behind um, got behind and under the skin of all of the Slayer issues. Um, and um, and we had a really good chat off air about a, a podcast he's thinking of putting together, which sounds awesome. Um, and we've communicated a bit as well. He is responsible for hooking me up with a guy who I'm hopefully going to be doing the Black Album special with. So um, that's, again, that's to be confirmed, folks. But once again, this uh, this writer specials, they're not about me. They are about the guys, um, proper journalists, basically. Sometimes I get um, I get uh, called a journalist. I'm not. I'm just, you know, I'm just me. Although that does mean I'm not Eddie Trunk. I'm not fucking Rain Man. Um, but yeah, um, uh, this is about the guys that I'm interviewing. This is about the guys behind the guys, if you like. Um, and for some reason, I keep referring to our next guest, Ross um, Barker, as Ross Barker. And it's not. It's Ross Barker. Baker, what a fucking idiot I am! So, um, without further, oh, basically, how um, how we ended up uh, talking was Ross actually interviewed me for um, Terrorizer, and um, I, uh, I I I was talking to him about how popular the writer specials had been. And he said, uh, and and he was really quite surprised about it. And we and we talked a bit more, um, and we ended up. So, and I just said, look, why don't you why don't you come on the podcast? So it was pretty cool. Um, definitely a great way of getting good press from people who are interv- interviewing you. Um, that's invite them on your podcast. So um, so this is Ross Baker. We had a really cool chat. He came down to see me do stand up in Sheffield. He came down and we had a right old chat and then uh, and then his mate comes in right on the end of it and sorry dude I, I can't remember your name um, and um, and we had we had a really good conversation and they ended up being sat in the front row um, when I did my uh, when I did my show and I, I must admit I did do a little bit of piss taking um, but anyway it was uh, it was really cool Ross to come down really cool to meet him and um, this is the chat that we had about all things metal but basically uh, quite a lot about Slayer again who would have thunk it so this is uh, me and Ross having a chat a little while ago. So here we go. Um, let's have some. Let's get some levels sorted. Oh no, the levels got to go way up. Okay. Um, right. Okay. So um, let's have a little bit of a chat from you. Is one, that two, one, two, one, two, one, two? <laughs> yeah, yeah, three, yeah. Four, no, no, that's seven. good. That's good. Awesome. Mm. Um, so hello. Um, what's your what's your surname by the way? Baker. Baker. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I, yeah, so um, I'm here with Ross Baker in a rather unusual um, surroundings for a podcast. We're in the New Barrack Tavern in Hillsborough, Sheffield. Um, and it's a, it's a place I've pay, played many times. I'm going to be playing later on tonight. Uh, you've got that to look forward to, Ross. Indeed. Um, and, um, and it's kind of strange because we, we, we've arrived. It's, it's, it's a really weird place. It's in a, well, a, a part of... Um, um, Sheffield called Hillsborough, which I just mentioned. It's near Hillsborough Barracks. Um, it's all light industrial around here, so this pub is really busy during the week with people mm. coming in and having their lunches and stuff. And it's dead at the weekend. We are we are the only. There's four people in this pub at the moment. Sorry, five, including one of the bar staff. Um, and uh, and so we, we we're sat in a in a pool room um, with and, and the whole thing to ourselves. So it's ideal for um, for for an interview. Mm. Um, it's kind of like the opposite, really. If normally I end up doing these, you know, you've got like sound checks going on and people mm. coming in and slamming doors and stuff like that. So um, yeah. although um, there is there is a drink for me due to be turning up in a minute, so um, so that'll be a nice intrusion. Um, uh, with me is um, Ross Baker um, of Terrorizer. Um, ah, and here's the coffee. Brilliant. Ah, oh, you're a star, mate. Thank you very much. No worries, mate. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks. Nice. 
There you go. Yeah. I know I'm I know I'm not north because it's not a cappuccino. It's instant. <laughs> I asked for a coffee and I, for some stupid reason I thought it would be um a coffee, but it's not. It's kind of like, you know, coffee flavoured coffee. Mm. Mm. That is quite rank. Anyway, so I'm joined by uh, by by Ross Baker of um, uh, Terrorizer. Sorry, I'm just going to check the levels there because I think we were we were going a bit high. Um, so I'm just going to take the level down a bit. Oh, isn't this great? Isn't this so professional? Anyway, um, so how long have you? Oh, I better explain. We we kind of we met over the phone, yeah. didn't we? Mm-hmm. Um, Darren Sadler, who um, has worked at Terrorise for years, um, was going to put a, a thrash retrospective together. Yep. He hasn't had time, and so he introduced me and you via email and said, yes. Ross is going to do this. And we, we did an interview, God, when was it? A couple of weeks ago? Yep, two yeah. weeks ago now. Um, which, how long did that, how long were we on the phone for? God, it was like an hour and a half. It was just, I think, just the great thing about it from my point of view was just the way you kind of, flowed from subject to subject there was never kind of having to I didn't have to kind of poke or prod or anything else <laughs> the only time I had to poke or prod was I think I want to ask this now <laughs> yeah but, um, yeah no, well yeah I do I do talk yeah yeah I do, I, that's well here we are it's know. a stock in trade exactly <laughs> I, have, I have created stock in trade yeah great line from a great song um, uh, I have um, yeah I've even created a vehicle for me to that, that is just talking um, bollocks in fact um <laughs> But well, yeah, it was it was good. For, funnily enough, not my, my longest. I think the record is two and a half hours. Um, yeah, yeah, that was with Metal Forces. Um, and uh, and yeah, needless to say, when that comes out, I'm probably going to get into a bit of trouble um, oh for some of the things I said. But <laughs> oh, fuck it, who cares? Um, but um, well, yeah, it was cool. And you, and obviously, Darren, you know, said right. Let's. Uh, by the way, yes, that is a small child you can hear in the background. Fucking annoying, aren't they? Anyway. Um, uh, uh, yeah, so so Darren said, "Look, he introduced us. Any particular reason why Darren said, right? Yeah, you're my man. Is your you know a love of UK thrash or you know old school? What, what's yeah, this? I mean, oh, for fuck's sake! Sorry, I'm getting there's, some, there's some Slayer straight away. Yeah, there you go. That's um, yeah. So sorry, carry on. No, yeah, big um, big big thrash fan. Excited to." Excited to come and do do the feature. Knew it knew it'd be a good laugh. Um, like I say, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys perform in October. Um, I've had the I've had the pleasure of seeing Zentrix before, but most of the the band the British bands of that era. I mean, I'm 35 now, but um, I kind of missed all that the first the first time round. So it's just been great to have an excuse to listen to some of the old um, some of the the British thrash material from back in back in the day and yeah. In sort of draw comparisons of how it how it was compared to the German scene and what was going on in America in America as well because yeah. I first got into the American stuff when I got into oh believe you don't um, worry so do we <laughs> I mean that's that's you know because mm. thra- thrash is an American invention you know mm, no, it's it inspired you know it's American bands inspired by new wave new wave of British heavy metal I refuse mm-hmm. to give it its acronym because that's just fucking embarrassing. Um, I, I've never even learned to say it. It's oh, so well, embarrassing. Oh, Nawabum? That's, uh, <laughs> yes, that, that'd be the one, yeah. Um, so, yeah, well, we, so we, we did exactly the same. You know, mm. I mean, that's obviously because that's how we sort of formed our bands. Mm. And But I'm interested in your, you know, 
the, all these years later, sort of looking, look, so looking back on it because you weren't around at the time. Mm. Uh, what's what's your sort of you know understanding of it, perspective wise, as in you know who were you know who were the pioneers, who were you know and who were kind of like you know just tagging along behind, etc. Yeah, I mean, on on the feature we 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 chatted to well, obviously I got to chat to yourself and um, Chris from Zentrix, who was absolutely fa- absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah, but not David as good as me, right? <laughs> he's nodding. This is very he's nodding. Chris, if you're listening, Chris, I'm, you're I think you, no. he's, he's great. He's, Chris. Man, he's very, Chris. he's very, he's very, he's very, he's very straightforward. I, oh, hell quite, yes. quite the quite yeah. the way you expect a man from Lancashire to be. Sorry, people in Yorkshire. Well, <laughs> it's funny you should say that. No, no, it's, it's very much a sort of you know Yorkshire Lancashire thing, as I say. What I like and like what the blue will say. Mm. Um, not, but uh, but no, I know what you mean. Having interviewed Chris. Um, for the very first episode of Talking Bollocks um, and having you know I wouldn't say known him for years because I well I have known him for years but we haven't seen each other for like, oh no I was going to say 20 odd years but we haven't seen each other a couple of years ago um, and yeah he, he is very sort of um, I, I, I think of um, I think of uh, and, and this is meant as a compliment it might not sound like it but I think him of, of him as the uh, sort of the UK thrash scene Kerry King hmm do you know what I mean? He's, yeah. He is very straightforward, and he will mm. just give you a very straight answer. Of, you know, it's like I remember talking to him, and he was saying, I was, "We ended up talking about jamming or something like that." And he was like, "No, don't do that. Don't believe in it." You know, I I, I play guitar. I play when I pick up a guitar. I play Zentric songs. That's it. I'm interested in playing Zentric songs. I'm interested in mm. singing Zentric songs, and that's it. Yeah. Um, very again, very Kerry King, but um, mm. but uh, but yeah, no, he's a, I mean, he's a, a yeah. I've never met Kerry King, but uh, yeah. I can certainly say Chris is a, a uh, nice guy. No, indeed, I had the, uh, the pleasure of meeting Kerry King recently. That's um, oh really? Another, yeah, we did um, did the cover for Terrorizer on um, on Slayer. Right. So we got got to go to London to Nicola Bass's office to have a chat with um, with Tom and Kerry there and. Uh, I'm really excited about the feature, not just because it's my first cover for Terrorizer, of course, which is, but it's also, it's fucking Slayer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a band I grew, grew up oh, listening no, no, to when I was right. listening. No, no, let's get this wrong. It's Slayer. That's the one. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I can't wait to, I can't wait to see that in print. I think I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna be pinching myself a little bit. And how, um, how was that? How was it? How was that for you? Yeah. It, it was a great experience. Um, there's something there's something fitting about about talking about Slayer and hearing kids crying in the background. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really is. Yeah. So um, yeah, yeah, I mean that must have been an absolute buzz. Oh, it, it was. It was fun. It was fantastic. It was, but I was beside myself. Um, and how and how were they? Just to just to expect. Tom was very. Tom Tom's the one who kind of whacks his lyrical or not. One answers. He's very. He's got that this laugh that just could. Could cut through anything. Yeah. You can you can be talking about something that's really quite sort of tense and difficult, like we were talking a lot about, um, obviously the passing of Jeff Hanneman. Yeah. And so part of the conversation got really very dark, and very personal. Yeah. Um, but no, Tom Tom was a joy to. Uh, but when it it's a, it's certainly a very personal article. It does get it does get very deep. And you see um, when you're looking at Tom Murray, this sort of can, wonderful kind of patriarchal father, father of three, really bubbly, really, really friendly. And then when you see him kind of looking really kind of gravely serious, you know, um, you know, obviously he took it very hard. And yeah. Yeah. the, um, I think the, the article 
reflects that and reflects the two different personalities that the core members of Slayer have. Kerry King's a mile a minute and will answer you. Will, you'll, you'll literally, you'll have to go in there with 20, 25 questions for the guy and you'll get them all answered and more. With Tom, obviously you have you to... Ask a couple of, of questions and yep. he'll sort of expand on it. He'll, he'll expand on it well. I mean, not to give too much away because I hope people... Oh, don't worry, this won't... This, 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 this'll be, it'll be out by now. By the yeah. time this comes out, it'll be out. Because oh, okay, cool. this is going to be a writer's special with you and DX Ferris, who oh. wrote the... I don't know if you know him, he wrote, um, well, two of the best Slayer books that are out there, which is... The, he wrote the 33 and a third series book on the, de- the documenting the making of Rain and Blood. Oh. And he also wrote the um, Slayer um, 66 and one third the Jeff and Dave years, which is a, which is a fucking great, great nice. book. I'm, I'm so it's going to be, it's gonna be him and you. So it's uh, quite, uh, yeah. Wow, that's, yeah. That's, um, that's some company to be in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. And he's, and he's a really cool guy. Yeah, you make me feel shy. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not at all. But anyway, sorry, carry on. Yeah, just, um, I mean, not to give too much away, but interviewing them separately is very telling because um, a couple of times they notably contradicted each other. Right. Which you don't necessarily get from sort of large, sort of corporate-sized professional bands. Yeah. Like one part, they can, they particularly found um, interesting was when um, Lombardo re- rejoined the group when he actually um, was was invited back it was actually Jeff that w- who was behind it right. Tom was dead set against the idea right. and made that very clear um, it was it, but it came down to a, to a vote and Kerry and Jeff voted yes we'll have him back Tom voted no so Two to one. Yeah, he's back. Um, Dave, is, Dave is back in the band, but um, yeah, we went all through, discussed um, all the really. It was very warts and all very o- very open. Went all through the kind of um, dealing with Jeff Hanneman, his his illness, and then yeah. his event, his eventual passing. Dave Lombardo, the legal issues as well, and also yeah. how it how it made them feel when you got the sense that. Kerry King, it was it was inconvenient, and he really hated the band's kind of finances being publicised all, all over the web when Absolutely. Dave gave those interviews. Yeah, but at the same time, the way he was it was it was very kind of matter matter of, of fact. Well, this this guy screwed up, so we fired him. You know, yeah. that's um, this employee screwed up essentially because when he came back to the band, he was a contracted employee. Well, absolutely. They gave him a separate yeah. contract. He well, wasn't. The funny thing is, left that, return. Well, the funny thing is that this D, that this picks up. There's some crossover with the DX Ferris interview I did because in his book, because um, again, I always say like, do the reading. It's very easy, and the internet decided, oh, poor Dave, mm. um, and that uh, Kerry King was an arsehole and fired him. And Tom Araya was like just went along for the ride, and then mm. it became clear that Tom was very much on board with what happened. Mm. And when and in DX's book, and I, I, I spoke to him about it. Uh, well, I call him Dave because DX just sounds ridiculous, and his name's Dave. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, because sensible people call themselves Dave, idiots yep. call themselves Randy. I think that's <laughs> a different topic. Um, so basically, what. It, what he was saying was that, uh, you know, and the, all this information is out there, Dave Lombardo ambushed, t- basically ambushed the other three of them, or let's just say Tom and, um, uh, Tom and Kerry at this point. Mm. He ambushed them prior to a load of gigs he knew they couldn't cancel, 
um, for for basically a pay rise yep. for reinstatement as a full shareholder in Slayer. And the reason behind this was his fucking divorce. It's all it, yep. it's it's all out there. Exactly. And his wife is on record as saying prior. Just prior to the, he'd been saying to her, look, don't worry, I'm going to get everything sorted. I've got a plan. Just hang in there a couple of weeks. And, he, of course, it turns out his plan was basically to, um, to ambush the two of them mm. and say, right, I can't do these dates unless you... I mean, it, yeah. it's, it's, it's ultimately, it's quite childish. And it's also, it's disrespectful. And it's, but, you know, mm. Slayer are, are not mates. They're just a functioning business. Um, mm. And uh, Well, you know that. And, yeah. And, um, and yeah, but basically, he said, yeah, um, Dave totally ambushed them and thought, thought he could basically put them up against the wall and say, look, either, you know, either you give me what I want mm. or I'm not coming to Australia. Yep. And, and, of course, what he didn't see coming was, was Kerry King going, OK, don't come. Mm. Exactly. And, I mean, it, what a ridiculous thing to do. What an mm. absolutely ridiculous thing to do because he was on decent money. Yeah. He was on good oh, money, was on good and money. and the, the kind of the kind of work, the kind of effort that he's going to have to put in, and the kind all the different projects he's going to have to do now mm. to make the same kind of money he would have done if he'd stayed in Slayer. Mm. He's just totally fucked himself. Totally fucked himself. Um, mm. But that, but anyway, that's my under, understanding of it from from yeah. Dave. Did you? I mean, did you get it? They, they've never been I mean they've never been I don't think they're going to be that open but I totally when the whole mm. thing happened I looked at it and I thought mm. if I was in Tom and Kerry's position mm. I would be so pissed off yeah because this is fucking you keep it in house no you do and you don't you don't air your, your dirty laundry in public I mean I think the, the fact was that I mean said obviously it's, it's a functioning business and it, and it is of course you know it's how they make, make their living but at the same time um, with with Kerry, he was very kind of professional about it, but when he spoke to Tom, t- Tom could fix me this steely look and said, look, you know, Dave, Dave was my friend when, before he, he left the band, the band the first time, but it, he said some, he said some things that were just unforgivable. He was completely untenable to work with and we kicked him out then and that's when the friendship stopped. When he came back, then it was, a, that was all about the contract, but you could tell that he, he actually felt really quite kind of upset about it that he actually had had some kind of personal relationship with the guy yeah. at one point. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was quite an uneasy situation for him. Um, also, Kerry King kind of plays down a little bit how, how the Jeff Hanneman death sort of struck him, struck him so much, but I think Tom, it, yeah. Tom, it, it hit him really hard. I yes. think, he, had, I think he, he genuinely thought that Jeff was going to get better that he was going to be rehabbing um, as long as he stayed off the booze, then he wasn't going to have any more liver problems and he was going to pull through. And then obviously things took um, an unfortunate turn for the worst. And also I think, I think, the, I think just about by, by this stage of their career, I think the only friendship, that kind of proper friendship that existed in Slayer mm. was Tom and Jeff. Because mm. invariably if Jeff wrote lyrics... I mean, sorry, if Jeff wrote the music, mm. Tom would have an input in the lyrics somewhere. Mm. You know, you, you, you look sort of certain on more recent albums. Um, mm. Yeah, Tom's writing usually is in harmony with Jeff. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, again, I, I got that impression as well. You know, I mean, mm. uh, yeah, just not me for six. 
Absolutely. Mm. Um, yeah, on the on the hard on the heels of Ronnie Dio as well. It's just like fucking hell. Yeah. You know, this is horrible. But anyway, Very let's, okay. yeah. but but you got but you got to interview Slayer, which is awesome. Yeah, um, that was fucking that was awesome. fantastic. That's it's another one of the bucket list for sure. I mean, the big ones I'd have to do now. God, um, I suppose there would be Metallica, Faith No More, a couple of things like that. I did get to interview Phil Anselmo. That was a power play. Well, oh, I really? used to write for back in the day. He, he was fantastic. Yeah. I spent an, an hour on the phone with him. It was absolutely wonderful. We went through everything about um, Pantera, various strange drinking stories, um, all, of his, all of his side projects, boxing. The man's, right. the man's obsessed. Well, with boxing. <laughs> with boxing, seriously. But I, you I, name I, any heavyweight weight title fight in the 80s, Phil Phil will probably be able to tell you what round, what round the knockout or the stoppage was scored. Wow. He, he's... He's an avid fan, and and of course horror movies because he has his um, oh yeah he's got his horror the festival, hardcore yeah. um, film and uh, music festival yeah down in Texas yeah um, I've got yeah I've, I, I I can't tell you now but I'll I'll tell you my uh, Phil Anselmo story when we uh, when we switch this off and as I always say guys it, if you you know if you bump into me you want to know any of these stories I'll tell you I just can't tell them on there. Mm. Um, okay. So, um, so uh, more about a bit more about you as opposed to okay. you know just the people you've spoken to. Mm-hmm. How how did you get into this? Um, my friend, uh, my friend Ian, basically ran a little webzine back in the oh, what we now where was it about yeah about nineteen ninety five. Right. Um, so we just kind of got. Got involved, got involved in that, doing a few Uber articles. It was a way to see a few gigs for free and meet a few musicians that I that I kind of I looked up to, and I really absolutely absolutely loved it. From there, I at univer- university I was doing sort of commercial music, the more legal and marketing side of the music, in the music industry. But I really just wanted to do rock journalism, right? Because frankly, I was. I was a I was a nerdy bloke who, who loved heavy metal, yeah. and I just wanted to. If I wasn't listening to it, I wanted to talk to anyone who who talked to me about yeah, it. Yeah, but yeah, but metal's, <laughs> metal's nerd nerd heaven though, isn't it? Exactly. All, oh, I mean, exactly. It's like, it's like we're all nerds because ultimately, if if you bump into a guy, you know, if you got you know, for whatever reason, you end up at a party and you're talking to somebody, and mm. someone says like, you know, what kind of music you're into, and you're like. Oh, you know, like you know, at the gates, you know, Slayer, or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And he say, and they go, "Oh, fucking hell, awesome!" And you're like, mm. "What?" And it's like, "Well, so am I." And you go, "Well, that's it." And straight away, that's it. It's the only mm. person you're going to talk to at the party. The only subject you're going to talk about. Yep. You'll probably either swap numbers or email addresses, or you know, go to or fo- hook up on Facebook. Go yep. to gig. You know, next time you go to a gig, oh yeah, give us a shout. You know, you know? Yeah. And, and and you know, it's that's yeah, it's it's. You're not just going to go, oh, I'm really into Slayer and Atlantic Gates and go, oh, yeah, so am I. Oh, really? Yeah. So, mm. anyway, uh, you know, what else do you do? You're not fucking interested. No, that's not. Realm's not the, metal's not the realm of the casual casual fan, never has. You, you definitely got to be, I think you've got to be a lifer, really, to, yeah, absolutely. to appreciate it. Um, so, you were, at, you were at uni and, you know. Yeah, so I was at uni. I mean, I've got. Being a nerdy bloke. Being a nerdy bloke. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I had a, my tutor, Steve, is really fantastic. He hooked me up with. Um, Ian Gittins, a oh, fantastic right. writer who yeah. wrote some books on Motley Crue, among others. And I, I wrote for Powerplay, Rock and Metal Man. For, I wrote for them for about four and a half years. Um, 
got to do lots of great lots of great stuff. Got a, one of probably one of my favourites was I remember interviewing Sammy Hagar from from um, Van Halen. It was about Chicken Foot, the project he has with Joe Satch and uh, yeah. Chad from Red Hot Chili Peppers. The, he was he was when the sense of uh, first time I really but I was on, I was actually speaking to an absolute millionaire yeah. rock star who's yeah. out there in the middle of, of Malibu Malibu come coming out of the uh, he he owns a he owns owns a section of bars and restaurants he has his own brand of tequila yeah he owns it and everything and you could well, he's, and he's he was on the phone he's and he's in his bar and he's pouring drinks and everything else and he's on the phone doing this interview with. Doesn't bat an eye, and it was absolutely fantastic. Um, really, <laughs> awesome. really, really, um, really candid, and none, none of the kind of guarded. I won't give you my opinion on any Van Halen. Yeah, it wasn't complimentary. <laughs> uh, that's that's putting it really, really politely as well. Actually. Oh, really? Yeah. So, is it? So, do you do the journalistic thing there? Do you think you, you listen to the reply and you think, you know what? Um, I, I'm, I'm going. I'm going to kind of select bits of what he said there, and because basically, if I just put what he said, it's it, it's going to be a whole shitstorm. He's probably not going to really want us, you know, want me to say all of this, so, you know, yeah. or, or was it just like that? Nah, you print what you like, you know. We just went and printed what we liked. To be, honest, <laughs> to be honest, he just said "fuck him," so that's what we printed verbatim. Because right. at the end of the day, if he's going to give us that soundbite, um, yeah, someone, someone like someone like that who's worked in the industry for that long will know when they're giving when they when they're saying that to a journalist. We've got the right to just go ahead and yeah. just print it as is, unless. Um, I've never really been forbidden for printing anything, to be honest. I yeah, I think really... I think it's, it's kind of like if someone says, "Look, I'll tell you something off the record." Yeah, that's not part of an interview. Is no, it? exactly. Yeah, I mean that's and that's it's weird because it, that kind of it, it's it, that's that that's one thing that hasn't changed. I mean, obviously, mm. journalism has it has changed hugely with blogging and all sorts of other stuff coming Very in. Much. And, you know, yeah, um, but there's still that you know I don't want to say honor amongst thieves. There's still that. Um, but there is, it's like an unwritten code from hundreds mm. of years ago that someone says, this is off the record, mm. and that is universally understood as, mm. you don't quote this. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's like fucking, it's just, it's, it's, you know, it's like mm. rule number one at journalism school, isn't no, it? It's you know? true. It's, it's, because your credibility's are, are, are at stake, because if you do print something that somebody said was off the record... Mm. You're, you know, you're, yeah, you're, you'll never work in this town again. <laughs> no, you're right. I mean, I think I've only been asked one thing off the record about, literally about once. It has never, it's never really happened. It's right. always been just, here's, here's what I think, and I'm gonna, and I'm gonna print it, and that's, it's made for. Um, I've been very lucky in that respect because I think it's um, people reading the article really go. I like to kind of paint the picture of the. The person I'm, I've been speaking with, not just give people the kind of the the average kind of fan perspective on the thing. I really kind of yeah. like to get get um, warts and all. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I but I, I get that. I mean, that's why I like to that's why I like to do in the podcast is 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 try to is try to get is just have a rounded conversation mm. as opposed to. You know, what's your favourite? Uh, what's your favourite album? What's your favourite guitar? Mm. Um, what your favourite set of lyrics? What's your favourite city to play? What's your favourite song to play live? And you know, it's just like, you know, fuck that. 
yeah. and, and funnily enough, I've had a few interviews since Acid Rain have been back. I've had a few interviews like that. And I had one, I had one interview. And the first question was, so what, are, what have Acid Rain been up to? And I just felt, I just felt, and it was an email interview, and I just felt like fucking cutting and pasting, like, you know, the, the, the website address. And so, yeah. well, yeah, lazy question, lazy answer. Yeah, X. that's it. You know? Yeah, you always try, I always try and uh, think it's key to go in with a few set questions, then have enough time for, for lead-offs, because you never know when you're going to get, uh, get to, you know, literally have something just hand, yeah, handed, handed to you. you. Half, yeah. of, half of the best quotes I've ever had for articles have just been... It's literally just been handed to me. Yeah, just come out of. And, then, and, and when you're and when you're interviewing, if if there is a quote, do you th- do you think when you're sat there, you think, oh, hang on, that's a, that's one right there. Do you know? Do they yeah, out some, oh away? yeah. Sometimes it's the light bulb over the head moment. You yeah, just, zang. Yeah. There's, there's one there. There's another. Oh, it's oh. fantastic, a fantastic moment when you have that. Well, the thing, and with some people. You can just ask one question, and, uh, and that's that's all you need to ask. <laughs> um, and that, so, you you were um, you got put in Gittins, um, yeah, yeah. Right for that magazine, and then and so yeah, wrote for, wrote for Powerplay for a while. Did some did some great stuff for them. Where and where? Chicken what sort of years was that? God, what's what's that now? That's about. What's been about? Before I started there, right? Okay, so you know. something like that. Oh, I was there for about four and a half, five years anyway, right? Right in there, and I'd written for Terrorizer on and off since um, Jonathan Seltzer, who's now at Metal Hammer, was the, the editor. So I've seen five editors go through Terrorizer, right, although okay. I did bits on and off, I wasn't sort of as regular as I'm glad to say I am now, yeah. So, um and and in that time, mm. we've seen some major changes in the uh, in the music business as well. I mean, very, back in 0405, you could still flog a, a few CDs, not many, but a few, as opposed no, to you know, virtually none now. Yeah. Um, and we've also seen the, I mean, the, well, just fucking, you know, the advent of everybody using Pro Tools and everyone sounding, you know, people starting to sound the same. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, very dead, lifeless productions. Some bands, which we both know, uh, play along to the album live and don't, you know, very little is live. Very little is live. Mm. Who, you know, I've, made, I've mouthed the word of a band too. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That. Um, I mean, that's that's fucking that's solos, vocals, and a, and, and and a bit of drums. It's about it. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I've seen that band you mouthed in 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 concert as well, and it was an absolute joke. Yeah. Really, they were doing an arena show. And yeah. you, you're looking at this and you think, you might as well be fucking steps. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I want to see a rock band for Christ's sake. I want to yeah. see someone who can, you know, but, but not only that, play but, guitar and But drums. not only that, but you want, you want the unique live experience, don't exactly. you? you want What's the live... fucking point in going and listening to the CD in a warehouse? Do you know what I mean? It, 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 it does my head in. But, but they will tell you, they, they, you know, their management are just all over them. Like, mm. you know, you have to do this, you have to do this, you have to... I want to know when someone decided that, that presenting fans with a unique live experience every night was a bad idea. You know, and, we're, and we're, this, this whole idea of fucking, you know, regimented, um, uh, you know, live shows. I, it's just, what the fuck is... What's the fucking It's, really, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Really, it really is. You might, you might as well just have... Um, you might, 
it was it was almost like watching Top of the Pops when they used to have what, what were they called Pan's People. <laughs> it might as well have been watching Pan's fucking people. Seriously, it was yeah. just so choreographed and poorly done. And just, yeah. oh god, I, I nearly walked out before the end. I want to say I've done that. I've I've never actually done that before from gigs. There's, there was another. Um, band I was really tempted to that was Room for Terror Horizon who would just do a widdly 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 though solo wise right Wait, <laughs> he's, mouth, he's mouthing the name of that band yeah <laughs> so I'll tell you about that band later but, right um, yeah yeah please um, do it was <laughs> yeah in, indulgent wasn't a word Jesus Christ so um and, and obviously you know the live scene has changed tremendously as well um and uh, I mean I'm, I, I mean you know, metal magazines like Terrorised, let's face it, because I mean, mm. I'm not going to include Kerrang! in that. Um, because, mm. you know, I mean, they, they, they were always the smash hits of metal, mm. Um, mm. but now it's just smash hits. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think Kerrang!'s got a very different... I mean, I, I like the way the... Um, all the. I mean, I grew up reading reading Kerrang! as a teenager. Makes sense. I I still think I grew, it's I grew, I grew up um, getting slagged off in Kerrang! <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> as a reader and then as a subject. But, yeah. Um, yeah, but it's uh, I think it's got it, it's got its place and it's obviously there for the um, the um, teen market. Yeah, the teen market and for for younger people and and you know what if bring me the horizon of your gateway band to finding Iron Maiden then I'm all for it. Yeah, you know people yeah. have Fair people enough. have got to do it one way. That at least they're not listening to they're not listening to just. Um, manufactured pop music and the X Factor they're actually taking an, an interest in musicians and people who can and can perform but not this kind of choreographed stage show people who actually yeah. have their own personality and um, Bullish I Bullish think that's important um, sorry not Bullish from Russia, um, Bring Me the Horizon from Sheffield if I'm not mistaken yeah so yeah. we are right where we are right now absolutely I think yeah. Bring Me the Horizon I mean I think Ollie's in terms a great frontman yeah in terms of hilarious oh yeah, yeah, he's a he's a really kind of um, he's an interesting guy. He's, yeah, he's yeah. very he's very direct. <laughs> an interesting guy. That is fucking. Interesting. Like say, drink. That, that's, that's, <laughs> that is industry code right there. Yeah. He's an interesting guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think with um, Britain that rise and people have talked a lot of crap about them. They got a lot of flack and they, they got booed on the Machine Head tour. But you look at them; they're sell, they're selling look, these I arenas. Like, like this them. tour's getting this tour's getting so. I liked so, yeah. their last album. I haven't heard the new album, um, but I liked the one before it. Oh yeah, um, I thought Sepultura was a really, really good record, and I personally wasn't a fan beforehand. No, I wasn't. I really all. wasn't. But that one, that one really changed my perception of that band. And I think, yeah. like them or not, Bring Me the Horizon, the kind of band you want to be seeing headline download. As otherwise, I, I don't know what I don't know how where Mandy Coffey does it. I just yeah. No, no disrespect to Death Leopard, also from the Steel, the Steel City, but yeah. don't book them every other year. Good God. Yeah, don't, <laughs> don't book Kiss they, ever. They're not going to release another record, so it almost seems, it almost seems pointless. Um, but, yeah, they need to be bringing these young bands in. I mean, people... Well, yeah, well, they, we need these tempole bands to, yeah. not, to not be Slipknot, Metallica, Rammstein... Mm. The, uh, Prodigy, maybe Rage Against the Machine if they feel like doing a gig. Yeah. Um, you know, th- because because all of these bands that headlining festivals, have all got one thing in common: they ain't going to be around in ten to twenty years. No, absolutely and, not. And we need to bring the next generation through. Mm. Um, and to be fair, down, um, Download did 
did make a start by uh, by having Avenged Sevenfold headline yeah. one day. Mm-hmm. Um, never mind, nothing's perfect. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's yeah. But go, to go back to um, Bring Me the Horizon, you mentioned. Yeah, I, I absolutely same experience. Not a fan mm. of the pre. If I would say Seven Eternal is the first album that's actually got any songs on, because their previous work, there are not songs. There's mm. just musicians who start at what at the same time, they play the same stuff and then they finish together. But it's not a fucking song. No. They, 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 there's no structure. There's no. It's, it's, it's you know it's impenetrable. But it's not just impenetrable as in it's too heavy or anything like that. To me, it just didn't make any sense. It was like just fucking horrendous. But then Sam Paternal came out and I heard a song and I thought that sounds all right. That sounds mm. right. Got the album. It's a bit Linky Linkin Park in places. Mm. You know, good Linkin Park if there is such a thing. You know, <laughs> like heavy stuff. But. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's some there's some there's some highlights on that album, and, and anyone listening, you know, you think, yeah, fuck off, and give it a listen. It might not be your thing, but um, yeah, I you know, I was I was reasonably impressed with um, with stuff, and that's uh, and I, I kind of started paying attention occasionally when I saw an interview. I'd read it as opposed to before thinking, oh, you know, I'm not interested. Hmm. And um, yeah, and that's uh, and that's how I sort of sort of came to the conclusion. And I've seen some live clips as well. Yeah, they look like a fucking great live band. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and Ollie is an exceptional frontman. Of that there is no doubt because hmm. all frontmen from Yorkshire are fucking legends. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, so yeah, I, I, the 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 next generation of metal is 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 very important, isn't it? No, absolutely. I, th- I mean, I personally think we're entering a, a critical time in in the whole history of metal. Hmm. Um, because we're on we're on real shifting sands at the moment. Oh yeah, you know? um, and it, yeah, it was, could go could go either way. Yeah, it really could. It's going to be interesting to hear what what style, stylistically band, bands are going to be doing and how bands will adapt, adapt. Like I say, with the whole festival scene, like with the demise of Sonosphere, because that event could not draw. And if you can't draw when you've got Faith No More and a couple of other bands as a headliner, then Festivals are really they're struggling in, in for headliners. That's why we need to start bringing Bring Me Their Eyes and Avenge Sevenfold, all of these bands that Alter Bridge or another band I think would do uh, at about that level. They could do, you know, a, a day of yeah. download on, on their own. I think actually Alter Bridge, personally, for me, in terms of sort of melodic rock acts, I think they're probably the best mainstream rock acts the last five, ten years. But Yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a massive fan. I still can't get past old, you know, God bollocks. Um, singer bloke from Creed. Oh, yeah. So, well, he's not. He's not in well, that no, band. I, so. I, yeah, I know. <laughs> but just the fact that the rest of them were in a band with him <laughs> still, yeah. still sort of just makes me like. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I yeah. met um, I met Scott Phillips, the drummer, outside Camden Electric Ballroom. It wasn't even they'd um, they played their gig when I was off into um, went back went back outside and then I was going back in for the nightclub afterwards to have a few few drinks with my mates and um, I was just chatting to him out him outside and and he um, yeah again that that wasn't even just an interview situation he was just said yeah thank bloody god we got rid of Scott because he was a pain in the ass <laughs> he, he drank too much he mucked about on stage and yeah he was a a yeah, he was yeah. just a dick. Yeah. With, unfortunately, yeah. so hopefully who, he's cleaned up his act. Who would have thought? Who would have thought that the lead singer, yeah, could be a dick? Mm. <laughs> LSD, lead singer's disease. Um, yeah. It, uh, yeah, no, I mean, it, 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 yeah. There's, there's, um, 
there's a reason for that and you know I think you know you know, singers get all the pussy man <laughs> yeah. I think to be yeah. fair Not to, to front heard. a band you really do have to have an, an ego you, you do have to have that <laughs> that will to perform every, everything else yeah yeah um, no, it's yeah. alright mate you, that, could, you could say it <laughs> and that character you know that character about you and that flamboyance and I think that's a little bit what we're missing like someone like um, to a less extent someone like Ollie Sykes from Brimner um or um, even bring the horizon, or yeah. just go out and say what the bloody hell he thinks. And, yes, and that's yeah. that's refreshing because all two other bands now are just thinking in this kind of. Yeah. You, you see some bands that are just really kind of careerist. Well, and think, it doesn't. It feels slightly like yeah. disingenuous. It just feels like they're being very safe. And like, oh, we don't want to say anything that won't what that yeah. the label won't like, or yeah. The, yeah. that certain fans won't like. And we won't yeah. say anything negative about other people. Like, yeah. It's all very nice and polite and hush hush. And when yeah. when when a band occasionally comes comes out and just says, well, actually, I don't like this for one reason yeah. or another, then it's refreshingly genuine. Yeah, well, I, I, I completely agree. And I, I mean, I've been shooting my mouth off. Uh, well, as you know, because you're at the end of it. Um, I've, been, I've been shooting my mouth off as much... No, not, not as much as possible. I'm not making, a, I'm not making a, um, uh, a conscious decision to, oh, yes, I'm going to say this or I'm going to say... But mm. I, I, as I'm a metal fan, and I, as an individual, I'm sick of reading. I, you read something and you think, oh, that's really fucking cool, I'm glad he said that. And then within, within five hours, you'll see a fucking grovelling apology from the same person, saying, mm. oh, I didn't mean to say that, and, you know, I was, oh, I was really tired, and they grabbed me just as I got off stage, and it was like, mm. you know, I'm sorry about that. And you just think, just fucking own it. It's like that mealy-mouthed sack of shit, Bill Ward. Who comes out with that, that fucking? You know, he says he said on that interview with um, with Eddie Trunk. I don't know if you've heard it. I've I listened Not yet, to it. No. He says like you know I've 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 listened to thirteen seconds of of thir- uh, no I've listened to about twenty five seconds of uh, thirteen and I switched it off and I just thought well what a pile of shit. And then all of that comes out, and they, that's run with the, the headline of the interview and all the rest of it. And yep. the following days, all like, oh, look, you know, I love those guys. I've got a lot of love for them. And, you know, I'm, you know, people's, I, I, you know, yeah. I, I didn't say it was shit. I was thinking, you fucking did. Yeah, exactly. Like, just stand, yeah, just, stand by what you said. You just know? own it. Mm. Fucking own it. You know, instead of like, he comes out, he's always with his fucking extra long, hippie fucking press releases that read like, you know, someone who's just basically done way too much E. And every other <laughs> word is love. I love these guys, and I love that, and I love them, and, you know, mm. lots of love for them. And, I, and it's like, oh, shut up, mate. Shut up. Yeah. You said that you listened to 20 seconds of it, you switched it off and said it was a pile of shit. Fucking own it. Exactly. You know, just fucking own it. Mm. Um, and, uh, I, yeah, I, I, you know, I... I I totally agree. You've got to a stage now where it's, like you said, careerist. Everything's yeah. got a bit fucking safe. It really has. Yeah. And, and mm. to, funnily enough, um, I, did, I did some writing for a website. Mm. And I wrote a review of, and it's not all about The Rock, in case you're wondering, people out there. Um, I wrote a review of um, Super Collider, um, or as I called it Super Cunter. Right? <laughs> In the Megadeth and, record, and, yeah. Well, yeah, and I, I basically... I reviewed that for Ghost Cult magazine, which I ed- edit as well, and... Yeah, I mean, I, I was just like, look, I, Good I, God. I'd rather smear shit in my ears than listen to this again. It, Do you know what I mean? And I, I really went for it's it. It's an embarrassment of a record. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I went for it, and I, you know, but I, and I didn't just, I wasn't just insulting. I tore it down musically, lyrically, 
everything Lee, mm. yeah, sent the, sent the review in because they were like, anytime you want to do something, you know, send it in. And, uh, and they said, sorry, we can't, we, we, we won't be putting this up because we only print, we only um, post positive reviews. Well, that's like, that's not being critical. At the end of the day, anyone can be a anyone can be an armchair critic. Originally, if anyone gets into writing about about music for anything other than free gigs and to meet a few musicians, then they are fucking lying because that's why everybody get, gets into it at the start because there's no money in it, kids. Yeah. Um, there's no, no money anyway. No, of course not. There's no money in any of it now, but we do it because we we love it and we we feel um, a connection with this with this music and a kinship with um, the community at large that I believe I believe we're still a part of. Yeah. And in term in terms of um, how it's how it's been how it's been for for me, I've just I've just kind of got more and more nerdy and and, and obsessed. And, I mean, literally. Yeah. Um, from I've got literally head floor to, floor to ceiling stacked with CDs and uh, vinyls some other promos and all the other stuff in that and I'm, I have my little shrine in the way and the girlfriend wants to move it I just went no don't move that you can move it but not that there okay yeah yeah, yeah. and it drives well, her nuts <laughs> <laughs> But that, but but that is you know that that's that's mm. what we're like I mean yeah. you know and 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 I think you know we we are we're all we're all obsessed with it and you mm. want you want to you want that kind of you want to see that obsession and that light in the eyes of people that you're talking to about it mm. and there's nothing more disappointing than like talking to somebody who's who's you know who's in a band mm. um, and you can quite clearly see that you know they're either not that bothered or they're just going to going through the motions as yeah. it were. Now, I'm not excited about music or anything else. Yeah. Now, now, yeah. now, there's the other side of that. If they've just you know, if you're the fifteenth interview that day and they've had four hours sleep after a flight and they're in different time zone, you, you can yeah. you know, factor all that in. Of course, yeah. But but you know, it, 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 there, there's there is that time where you speak to somebody and you just think, oh. Yeah, this yeah. Is not I mean, one of my early podcasts, I um, I interviewed um, Chad Gray. Oh yeah. And um, I was like, "Hi, hi, okay. how are you?" I mean, sat down yeah. and um, and I just started by saying, "Right, um, what made you leave your forty thousand dollar a year job to go and do Mudvayne hmm. in a you know one room flat?" Yeah. And you could see he was like, "Whoa, dude! Right, okay, this is like you're fucking." You, right, this isn't the new album's great, you know. Yeah, this yeah, exactly. And do you know what? The standard sounds. He, he, he just took a beat, and that was it. He was like, "Got to do it, man. Got to do it. Got music. I wanted to do it. My grandmother, she was right behind me, and in, and I knew that his grandmother had raised him, and, and he lost her. And I, so we talked a bit about her, and 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 you know, it, the 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 kind of rapport developed mm. and then we started we started talking about music and you know this guy's how many years into the business how many albums into the business how many tours mm. into the business and he's just looking me in the eyes going we just want to fucking play everywhere you know, mm. we, want to go, we want to play everywhere and take this album we want to come back here we do a proper UK tour usually we do like London, Manchester I want to play places like Bristol and fucking Swansea and yeah. it's just like wow this is so awesome yeah. you know it's exactly he's, what you want yeah because it's like, wow, yeah, this fan's in a band. Mm, exactly. I mean, that's why it was so it's so refreshing here, especially when you get an older 
person who's been around the, the industry for that many years and they're freaking out over any bands. Phil Anselmo was there half the, half the time where it was just saying, right, okay, there's this black metal band from Finland you need to see, there's this death metal band from, from, from somewhere in Scandinavia, there's Portal from Brisbane, Australia, check them out, here you go, kid, here's a list, go and check all of that out. And it, it's just fantastic. Yeah. That's why when you, you see people that really still have a passion for music are not just a part of the business machine now and just treading treading water that's yeah. where you that's what really excites me about getting getting that through people there's nothing more tedious than thinking i just got some sound bites from a guy that i could have got on a press release yeah there's nothing more boring than that really now is yeah. there yeah yeah that's no, why absolutely. i've always tried and tried to make sure i can get you know a bit more sort of personal in, insight into into the into the individual um yeah, that I'm that I'm interviewing, and also it's good key to kind of if you can if you can make them make them laugh or say something that slightly catches them off guard, it all, it always helps, and then you open them right up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you know, the same as well. It's um, well, you just yeah, you you like you said, I'm I'm in the same camp. You want you want uh, you want to get a, you want to get a, a rounded picture of of the person, but also. Of you know of when you've got that rounded picture, mm. you also want to know about like that, you know how music affects them, you know mm. what their plans are, what their beliefs are as regards metal and everything else, and, mm. you know, and how it's going to move forward or you yeah. know or not or you know whatever. Um, I mean, uh, I, yeah, I, mean, I, I know some people have sort of um, uh, of the school of thought that like UK tours, certainly for bigger bands, like you know we. World tours will be one gig, one gig per country, mm. and so and they will basically go and play a big. So, say for instance, Metallica comes to London mm. and they play the O2, yeah. And you and they, and they you basically they might do like a couple of nights. So do the O2 for a couple of nights, and that will be pay per view mm. um, streamed. You know, so you basically buy the stream of it, yeah, and you sit in front room. Uh, if you live in like Newcastle or Leeds or you know Swansea or fucking Glasgow or wherever, and mm. you, you sit you, you sit and you and you, you buy your online ticket, yeah, and you sit and you watch it, mm. um, and that's it. Now I know there'll be people, and I, I can hear you guys. I know who's there. Ah, it's fucking bollocks. People will always want to go live shows. Mm. Generation, our generation, maybe, but the younger and younger. All it will take is for the first band to do that, mm. and a kid's first gig. To be watching a pay per view show, yeah. and it's over no. because that generation have had that experience and they've never had that. Well, why no, go? That's true. You know, you? Why go all those miles there? Yeah. And also, there's this. It's already happening. I mean, it happened for me. I was watching a pay per. Um, well, it wasn't. It wasn't pay per. It was a free stream. But um, Wacken Open Air, the German yeah. festivals, streamed the whole the whole show, and I was I was watching that before I was going. I was going to. I was going to Bloodstock later that month and. I thought I'd, I'd watch Emperor's set and Devon Townsend set on on the stream, and the pr- the production values there were fantastic. The camera work was brilliant, full full HD. They're just pulling all that content out for nothing. Yeah, not even charging for it. Oh uh, yeah, it's brutal. You thought you were watching you were watching this you're watching this stuff, and normally you'd think you'd pay twenty quid for a DVD for that, and they just yeah. they're just giving that away, but. They they really whack on a thing is one um, one thing that perhaps 
UK festivals can, can learn a lot from something like that. And I think Bloodstock has definitely um, modelled themselves and is they, they sell the Wacken brand that people loyally go to Wacken every year because it's a symbol of quality. Yeah. They, they go, they buy their ticket, much like um, no one really does it in kind of the metal scene in the UK. I think the closest example would be Glastonbury, where people buy their tickets because it's Glastonbury. Yeah. And they know there's going to yeah. be a certain number of acts that's going to be their cup of tea. Yeah. And that's how, how Wacken have, have merchandised it. I mean, they've, they've merchandised the heck out of it. And they're, you know, Wacken, bag, cup, tent, this and that and the other, you know. Yeah. Um, bands. Maybe not so well. Um, certainly, you know, if, mm. you, if you if you lower down the pecking order, um, mm. it's uh, yeah. You, you, if you're in Germany at the time, do it. If you're not, it's not really worth going all all out to do it. Mm. Um, I'll tell you off air, as it were. Sure, we'll do that on air. Oh fuck it, no, let's do it on air. Um, a, a band I know who were offered a um, um, hundred euros and a dressing room for half an hour, and it's like. Right, okay, that's it. That's it. And they're like, really? And you had to get your and, flights out of that? And they're, they're, they're a UK band. Wow. And I was like, fucking hell. Right, okay, that's it. And basically their response was, do you want to play in front of 50,000 people or not? You know, and that's it. Mm. And, 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 yeah, and bearing in mind, if you do get over there, the only other way you've got of trying to recoup some money is sell shirts, of yep. which X percent is going to go into the fucking festival's pocket. So yeah. it, it is a bit of a, you know, that's, that's a bit of a nightmare. And I thought, I, you know, that wasn't, I, I was really not impressed with that. Um, but, you know, such is life, such is life. But you're right. I mean, I, I know Bloodstock streamed, I don't know if they streamed this year, but the previous year we streamed yeah. free. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I, 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 I like you was at Bloodstock this year and, um, well, just for like, you know, a few hours. But um, it's, it's like, it's just the perfect size of festival. Mm. Um, I mean, I played Download the Comedy Tent a, f- a few times, and I, I'm just thinking, like, this is too fucking big, man. Mm. This is just like, you know, it's all over the place. Like, oh, should we go and see that? Well, I don't know. Can we get a cab there? Oh, <laughs> you, you know, because I'm fucking all. Whereas Bloodstock, you can walk around the whole thing. In, mm. What, like, you know, what, half an hour? No, indeed. I mean, I love that. You know, love Download, that you're not even scratching the surface after half an hour. No, that's true. I mean, I'm definitely when I was a. Uh, younger would run run about between stages more now, but now it's just go between that and that second second stage since they moved the moved the old Dunlop town you think bloody hell you know fuck I'm doing a marathon here going between stage to stage and then you miss half the half the blooming band you want to see yeah. I mean I really think the the lineup of some of the the foreign festivals that do have where they stagger the actual stages they have two big main stages right together and then two Side stages, yeah, and they yeah they stagger the they stagger the times. That's that's much better. Well, and also if we're talking about if we're talking about bills, I don't think it gets better than Hellfest every year. Love it, absolutely I mean, wonderful. Yeah, man. it's insane, isn't it? Yeah, the I'm first time I went to Hellfest. I'm still working was Fury Fest in Le Mans, back at the back at the racetrack. Wow, right, and it was okay. the hottest bloody weekend. It was 2004. I literally, I am sweating buckets. I went and saw. Let me see. I saw Immolation, Behemoth, and Enslaved one after the other. Three really crushing, heavy bands, and, and they went for a lie down. Drenched. <laughs> I, I, I felt like, I felt like, I felt I needed one. It was absolutely fan, fantastic. Yeah. Um, the atmosphere, the layout, and everything else, and, and that one I think has grown really well. And again, 
I think it, you know, it markets itself as this symbol of quality. I think that's what Download and other events have perhaps got to do is now kind of sell themselves on the experience, not just on the headliners. Because sometimes with, you know, only having a small pool of headliners to kind of dip from, to be very kind of safe about it, it's going to be killing the oversaturated festival market whereas I think someone yeah. like Bloodstock's got it right that you know they're giving a few a few acts who uh, maybe wouldn't get the wouldn't get the chance to headline at download or might be head on the second stage the, the chance yeah. to the chance to perform on that main stage I think I think um, Venom next year is a masterstroke yeah you know, I think that's I think that's a great great show mm. um, you know and and I, I mean I, I know of a few other acts that are, that are going to be playing there as well um, headlining a few things and um, and yeah I mean it's it's, it's going to be a cracking lineup next year I mean it was this yeah. year don't get me wrong um, loved mm. it but yeah I mean it, it's it, yeah it's, it's and that's why it sells out as well you know mm. and it sells out well in advance Absolutely. and and what I love about that is that it sells out in advance and you know what every year they're not making it bigger they're not making it you know because this is what happens what happens is you know People get to a stage and they just go, right, yeah, just make it bigger, sell more tickets. Bigger, 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 more money, more money, more money, mm. bigger, 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 more money, more money, more money. Oh, mm. it's not the fucking experience that anybody wants anymore. It's yeah. too big. And, it, it, you know, mm. it's, it's, it's just nice to see. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm friends of mine, well, Paul, who plays in Acid Rain, mm. um, played um, Bloodstock when it was at Derby Assembly Rooms. Yeah, oh, yeah. That you was know? my first one was Assembly Rooms back in... What was it, 2006? I think it's about that, yeah. Yeah. The last one they had. Yeah. Yeah, and of course you can't. And of course, um, yeah, they certainly can't go back there, that's for sure. No. Fucking thing burnt down, didn't it? Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, That was a big story in Derby, that's for sure. That was a wonderful Um, venue, so shame shame to have seen that go. Yeah, yeah. uh, Well, then there's the whole list of venues that that have gone. I mean, in London alone, it's, you know, it's tragic. I mean, your story used to be just an iconic venue mm. I saw Slayer there twice performing Rain and Blood in its entirety um, which was just phenomenal played there supported Flotsam and Jetsam there mm. performed, supported Exodus there supported Death Angel there um, and had seen God knows how many bands there mm. um, got sort of Jello Biafra do spoken word there for fuck's sake wow. and it was just awesome and to see that go was really sad and we lost the LA too as well because that was an underground venue that was just a month mm. from there. So Sepultura there on their club tour before they did the City Halls for Fantastic. for um, for the Roots tour. Mm. So um, saw them, yeah, it was just that was insane. And yeah, it's just like um, all around the country we've lost some brilliant. I mean Leeds, we lost the Duchess of York, you know, which was a which was a fuck yeah. Okay, so it was a, a shitty fucking pub, but. It was fucking awesome, shitty little. Oh club. yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing is, we've had we've had uh, Manchester Star and Garter's been under threat for a while, and it's a shame because Star and Garter's well, when, when I went to all these sort of thrash and doom and stoner shows, you could turn up, you could pay three, four quid on the door, you get five bands, and the rest of the money you spend on merch and beer. Yeah, <laughs> it was, it was yeah. a bloody great day, and you'd see that many that many new bands, and it was there was always a certain sort of a real community feel about the place. You would always have certain people that would turn up, even if they didn't know the bands that were playing, just because they knew they knew the genre within that scene and yeah. friends had tipped them off and they came along. And I think that's the problem. We kind of need to hold on to the unique kind of live music heritage that we've got in the UK because 
Otherwise, and, and no disrespect to them, but really, we don't need another identical you, you know, O2 Academy or anything well, like that. And absolutely. The prime example would be in, in London is the Islington Academy. Um, mm. It's in a shopping centre. Um, and, you know, you walk in, and um, the first time I ever went there, I was like, this is a bit odd. I'm not sure I like this. Mm. Um, and security, take your ticket off you, right? Took it off me. Search. Oh, sorry, sir. Do you mind if I give you a, a, a pad down? I was thinking, no, I don't mind, but what's with the fucking sir? Yeah. And then he t- takes my ticket, gives it back, and says, have a good evening. And I'm thinking, what? <laughs> I want you to treat me like fucking shit. Yeah. Right, right? It's like Bring you go the to the theatre. Yeah, yeah. And, and not even acknowledge that you're even in my presence because you're fucking miserable. So I walk upstairs, right? I walk in and it's in the middle of summer and the venue is air conditioned mm. and down both sides of the walls are two beautifully stocked massive bars. You're not making it sound half bad here. But loads of bar stuff. Mm. Right? And you just go up and you get served straight away and the beer's cold. I was like, I want fucking warm beer. I want to have to queue for at least ten minutes for it. I want several metal females with their baps out to get served before me by the horny fucking guys behind the bar. Right? I want it to smell like shit. I want the floor to be sticky. I want to be sweating my nuts off. But having only been in there five minutes, mm. and all of a sudden you go in, and it's and it is it's the different, and you, you go in, it's like oh the merch is like a little shop, and mm. it's all air conditioned, it's like, and, mm. you, and you think well, you know the, if this was a cinema, fine. If yeah. this was a shopping experience, fine. Mm. But it's not. It's a fucking live venue. I don't want it greasy and I want it dirty. Mm. And you, you know you you want you some want of that, that authenticity has been lost. Yeah, it's gen- the gentrification of, of, le- of live venues. Yes, yeah. It basically means, yeah, I totally agree. We don't want another fucking O2 Academy. Mm. You know, it, in fact, do you know what? It, 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 in a, in, it, it, that is happening to venues, and, and, and alongside that, mm. bands using Pro Tools live and playing alongside their albums, it's the same thing. It really is. It's the same virus that's, that's kind of infecting metal, yeah, which is, right. you, know, every, you know, everything's safe. Everything that, you know, get, get put plenty of posters saying no, you know, no moshing, no stage diving, no having fun. Oh, God. You know, it's... Event. Yeah. And then, you, and, and yeah, and you've got people, you've got security up in the clouds with their fucking, with their uh, pen torches, mm. like, you know, highlighting people who might yeah. be having too much fun. Yes, yeah. so look at him, he's smoking and he yeah. shouldn't be and... Ooh. Yeah, look at him, he looks like he's about to have so much fun, he might jump up and hurt somebody, quick, mm. shine a light on him. It's yeah. fucking... It is. It is a bit sad, really. No, it's true. It does get a bit. It gets a bit nanny like like that. And some of the best shows I've been to have just been in really some small grotty pubs. Yeah, well, <laughs> you can get mean, him for I, a fight. But you mean the reason you're saying that quietly? You're saying that quietly because we're in a really fucking grotty pub. Just, I, I this is grotty at all. Certainly not no. grotty by my standards. No, but <laughs> no, no, it's not bad actually, is it? They've, yeah. they've cleaned it up since the last time I was yeah. there. But no, I think something can kind of get lost in arenas, and I think a lot of bands oh, yeah. you've really got to you've got to really work a band up to an arena now to be able to work such a big stage. It's like Bruce Dickinson says: you've got to you've got to play to the guy right at the back, right at the back. Not just the not just the, the kids at the front because it, that's how how you're performing and these bands younger bands need to get experiences of big stages early to be able to cut it because um, yeah yeah 
Yeah, no, they're not. They're not getting that because promoters now are looking for the sure thing. They're just been. They're just waiting till Iron Maiden or Metallica or Priest or someone's someone's touring. And I mean, obviously, we you know we all love we all love those 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 bands. Um, you know, we and the scene would never be the same without them. But you've got to bring in the new blood. Yeah. you've got to give them. I mean, that's why I've, um, as I got older, I've kind of found myself kind of gravitating more towards. Um, sort of death black metal and other more sort of extreme forms of music they're a bit more underground because they kind of nurtured that kind of fertile scene and there seemed to be a bit more kind of opportunity for acts within that uh, that genre and also um, why, I, why I first started writing for Terrorizer really was because that was the that was the publication I, grew, I, grew, I, I read that introduced me to the most new bands yeah Kar- Karang family if I, if I wanted to know what you know, all my, my favourites. I wanted to know what Pantera were doing, what Fear Factory were doing, what Metallica were doing. I was really Kerrang. If I wanted to discover new bands, it was Terrorizer. And to be able to get to have, um, to be to be writing for it, to be interviewing Slayer, for a guy like Darren Sadler, who I used to read Darren's stuff when he wrote at Rock Sound and, and all the stuff he's written at Riser, and just be blown away by it. Because um, there, you know, I found a bloke who had my kind of taste and my kind of love of finding kind of new bands because I'm trying to think the, the amount of kind of bands he found with kind of doom and stone and metal and all kinds of stuff that, that I found through reading his stuff really kind of really kind of absolutely set my world on fire so yeah. yeah to be able to get to kind of do that for him have someone like that kind of trust me to be able to put a few words together on and act as big as that was was a really big thing for me yeah well, that's, that's really <laughs> so, yeah. cool that's really cool and it's like it sounds like you sort of like see so you found a sort of kindred spirit in somebody who was because I'm I, I've always found myself I would like whether it's I'm, I'm sure some people will identify with this and some won't but um, for me, it's all about um, the the next thing. I'm constantly looking for the next thing. I'm constantly looking for stuff that is just off the beaten track. It's just mm. and and when I discover something, I am then an advocate for that. And everybody who knows me who likes metal is going to be told about it, and it's mm. going to be and it's going to be sent links to songs on YouTube to listen to, and uh, and then you know I want to hear from them what they think. And mm. Sometimes it's like, what the fuck, this is shit. And other times it's like, oh my god, that's amazing. You know, and it's like. I still rem- I still remember um, first time I heard Slipknot and uh, you know I know and and I just mm. I put it on and and I just as I explained it to a friend he goes I said I bought that Slipknot album because um, for whatever reason I was like mm, mm, and then I saw like you know the, the 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 I wasn't sure about the image and all the rest mm. of it and I saw it's like well they, they you know one's a clown no they're all fucking clowns if you ask me do you know what I mean look at them. Um, and then um, and I saw the I saw the CD in HMV and it was six ninety nine. It was a digi pack and it was like tons of songs on it and all of the like the, the quotes from various metal magazines saying how good it was. And I thought fuck it, I'll take you know I'm going to take a whirl a whirl on these bunch of clowns. And when I got home, I put it on. And I was like fuck me, this is fucking insane. Mm. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. It's like this is this is next level shit. This is mm. this is the next level. This we're off. Yeah. You know, we're off. And um, and I was just telling all my friends, and I told a friend of mine, and he just went, he said, what's it sound like? I said, it sounds like a fucking machine gun going off. And he was like, really? I was like, just get it. Just get it. Now, this was prior being able to send each other links and all the rest of it. I got yeah, the CD. Yeah, yeah. I said, just get it. He goes, all right. So he goes, um, him and his wife were staying with two of their friends, right? Uh, uh, his, two of his wife's friends. Um, 
husband and wife, you know, it was the four of them, and they were staying mm. at their cottage or whatever. And they'd gone into town, and the uh, the other the other couple's husband, he bought a Who CD, mm. and my mate had bought the first Slipknot album, right? And um, and they and and so like you know, he put his Who CD on when he got back, and he was like, oh, that's really cool, that's really mm. cool, and um, and uh, so he took that off, and they and and. The, the the couple were, the, the the couple of friends we the, the lady was going oh Anthony why didn't why didn't you put your um CD on my my name Anthony he was like, why don't you put your CD on that you got and he's like oh you know it's all right it's okay you know I'm sure yeah. you're no no go on go on go on and he's like no it's you know you're all right you know and his and his wife sort of looking at her mate going nah you probably don't want to do it. and she's going no go on really seriously put it on I'd love to hear it you know we're we're open minded you know mm. okay. Yeah. So, because um, you know, this is a woman who thinks the who's heavy. So my mate goes, "Okay, fine." So, so he puts he puts um, he puts the first Slipknot album on. Of course, mm. you've got this like this fucking weird intro, and she's she's sort of like you know, <coughs> furrowing her, her eyebrows, and then the song starts. <laughs> and the bass drums are coming in all the rest of it, and he's like, and that riff comes in. And she just looked at the woman, and she said her face just fucking slid downwards. And before, and, and then you go, here come the pigs, da, 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 da. Mm. and then and then when Cory starts singing, anyway, and he said he just looked at her and she went, uh, oh oh, uh, I, I see what you mean. <laughs> just, and he's like, yeah, bearing in mind, yeah. of course, this is the first time he's heard it as well. Mm. So he's going, and, and he's going. He, he said, like inside, I'm thinking, this is fucking awesome. But he's having to go, oh, yeah, yeah, he said, all I wanted to do was fucking turn it up <laughs> and leave it on. And he said, I was like, I had, I, had to, I had to take it off. And it was just like, oh, I really don't want to take it off, but I've got to take it off because it's ruining everyone's day. But it's just like, yeah, you know. Um, but yeah, you become that, you become that, um, or I become that, that advocate. Do you know mm. what I mean? It's like, well, with, with you know, the, the bollockers listening now and all the rest of it, I'm always trying to put a song out there you know, play a song that's kind of off the beaten track that people mm. might not have heard of or, or it's coming from an upcoming album that's not out yet so they get the chance to hear it before anyone else or, um, you know, or, or, and I'll talk about stuff that I've got into and that I'm listening as well because, mm. again, that's, you know, that's it's all part of the whole thing of being a metal fan, isn't it? Which is, no, absolutely. Which is, you love it so much, you have to tell everyone about it. No, it's true, absolutely. And I mean, that's why we both do what we do. No, it's true. I mean, what have you picked up recently that's been particularly floating your boat? Right, okay. Um, this year, um, I, I, yeah, I'm thinking, um, the, the, I rediscovered Therapy. Um, oh. Yeah, what a great it. album. What? Yeah. Trouble Gum? Um, oh, Trouble Gum, yeah. I yeah. mean, legendary. Yeah. But, but have you heard Disquiet, the most recent? Disquiet, album? yeah, yeah. What a great album. Mm, it is, it is a good and, one. And I rediscovered Therapy through sitting down and having a chat with Neil Cooper, who, of course, plays drums for therapy, who yep. played in the Beyond back in the day. Mm. So I know Neil, he's supported Acid Rain a few times, so I know him really well, and I support mm. him. I, with my band Strange Thing, I supported um, the Beyond as well. Oh, and, fantastic. Um, and, and so we got a chance to sit down and have a catch-up for the first time in about 15 years. And it was great to see him. Fucking really great. Um, and, uh, and, and you know, I'd, I don't know how I'd kind of lost touch with therapy as a band. But then, mm. yeah, Disquiet is fucking awesome. I mean, that's going to be, yeah. be up in my albums of the year. Yeah. Um, uh, strangely, I, I, I shouldn't like it, but the, the um, Juggernaut, Alpha and Omega by Periphery, um, yeah, really, really, really like. There's just 
there's just so much music there. There is so much fucking mm. music there. And those um, guys are insanely energetic live. I remember seeing, I saw them opening for, they're opening for Devin Townsend and Sugar, and they're, they're playing these very technical parts, and they're throwing the guitars over their heads and catching them and jumping off the drum kit and all the rest, and you're just thinking, that's what I want to see. Yeah. So at the end of the day, I got into, I got into metal because I was, I, was living, I was living in Manchester since I was six years old. I you know, moved down from... Scotland, where my mum was from, and um, my dad's from down south, hence, hence the accent. And um, I'm living there, and I'm just getting everyone just showing the stone roses and all these po-faced, boring indie bands that just want to wear a cardigan and look at their fucking shoes, yeah, and not Shoe-gate, actually yeah. show any kind of personality. And I wanted to watch yeah. a fucking rock and roll show, absolutely, not great yeah. musicians. Speaking of which, John, a fellow messler is it? Hello, John. Yeah. I'm Howard. Nice, nice to, to meet you. And um, so, um, so John's a, uh, a friend of yours, yeah? John is indeed, yeah. John, I've um, gone that far. All right, it's like <laughs> that, yeah. that's the famous northern <laughs> sense of humour. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> well, of course, because of course, tonight is about metal and comedy. Um, because um, and you know, thanks for thanks for coming down. Thanks, right. John. Yeah. So. And and John is wearing a Bloodstock T-shirt. There you go, bland, brand Bloodstock. We've been talking about just about you know the, the the concept of brand, you know festivals as brands and stuff like that. And, you know. I might be recorded. Then. Yes, you are. Yes, yeah, you are. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is this, is you this where you turn? Is this where you turn some sort of shrinking violet now? Is it? Is mm. like, oh, I don't want to know. No, not really. Good. Yeah. Actually, where, where are you from? Then? Where am I from? Yeah. Salford. All oh, right. So hardcore, not Manchester. So, are you? Would that make you? Um, are you into football at all? No. Right. Okay. Fine. And funny thing is, like they, those two things very rarely go together, do they? Mm. Metal and football. It's like you either like football or you like metal. Mm. Very few people like both. I like both, but mm. it's very rare that the two go together. I like both. But it was metal first. I know you do. Yeah, I do. But I'd always choose metal. Yeah. I think it's because metal you're kind of on the outside, and if you like football, you're more one of the lads. Yes, really depend, but depending on how I, I guess depending on how anoraki you go with football as well. Mm. Um, but the things that they have in common is it, the reason why it's difficult to get both into one sort of person is they're both <coughs> a lifestyle. You mm. know, me- metal isn't fucking music, is it? It's not just music. It's, no. it's everything else that goes with it. Yes. It's a community, you know, and uh, and and so is football. And I think it's like you know. It's one, you know, you, it's either one community or the other because mm. they both take up a fucking hell of a lot of time, you know, <laughs> no, and, and effort and dedication and nerdiness. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, fair enough, fair enough. So, um, well, thanks for coming down. Appreciate right. it. No worries. No. Um, we, were ju- we were just talking actually about our sort of uh, albums of the year so far. Mine's like therapy and, uh, and periphery. Got, got any um, albums of the year? Any tips for us? Um... <clears throat> It's a bit of a putting you on the spot. I've, I've got pretty weird and esoteric tastes, so <laughs> oh, right, me, me recommending anything is probably not good. All right, well, no, just tell us what you know. What's what's rocked your world so far? Oh, what have I been listening to recently? Um, That's the best route to go down, I think. Yeah. Well, it's not this year; it was last year. But um, uh, blood ceremony. The Eldritch, great, the Eldritch Dark, Dark. great, great band. Fucking yeah. right. Alright. It's not it's like a mix of it's it's like Tull and Sabbath. Tull and Sabbath together. 
I think, but not many people agree, with Grace Slick out of Jefferson Airplane on vocals. Yeah, and she and she really is Watchman Live as well. I mean, you right. can't take you can't take your eyes off. Right, her. so she's yeah. playing playing the flute oh, between the vocals. Guys, question. It's both, really, isn't it? <laughs> to be fair, you probably man. just described the the ultimate band that I would hate. Um, I don't, I, I, and it's not it's not a sexist Sorry. thing, but there's not one single band I like that has a female vocalist. Mm. And, and the fact that you mentioned she she plays flute as well just makes it even worse. Yeah. No, <laughs> but having said that, I, I, but I'm ju- I'm just sick of all these fucking um, uh, orchestral metal bands with mm. female. F- Female fronted orchestral metal band, just mm. like, do you know what I mean? I've had a fucking belly full of that shit. See, yeah, yeah. I like them. Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. You're so Epica and all that stuff, you're into that. Mm. Are they a bit mainstream? I am very selective with mm. what I like. Yeah, yeah um, me too, I don't like any of it. It's <laughs> true. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. so, so, but, you know. But I mean, I like, you know, I like thrashing stuff as well, so it's not just that I'm into the more sort of arty side of things, but. Um, yeah. Is it Arch Enemy? Is that something that you know works for either of you? They Arch, don't. Arch Enemy work. They, they don't work. They work. For me. Uh, they work. Okay. Oh, we have the record, opinion records. Uh, records I've been enjoying most of all. The new Clutch record's fucking fantastic. Oh, right. It's cool. um, it's not out, um, it's not out until the second of October. I, I got the I got the bloody stream bit to re- review and I can't turn the thing off. Awesome. It's just fantastic. It's just it's like Sabbath beat beat heart zapper. Old, old blues and just all and just great driving hard rock of kind of Motorhead and Thin Lizzy kind of vibe as well. Right, oh well, like on the last record, it's just that's absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah, you're, back, you're on your own on that one, mate. Yeah, really, really, <laughs> enjoy, really enjoyed that one. Um, that's a, that's the one I've been listening to most, most right, of all. Out the walls of Avalon. Walls of Avalon. Walls of Avalon. The walls or wolves? Wolves. wolves. The wolves, wolves of Avalon. The animal. Right, yeah. Fantastic band. Really? Love them. Right, okay. Now, what, what type of stuff? On paper, not my sort of thing. They sort of... Do you remember um, The Means of Asphodel? <laughs> um, I, I have no idea okay. what that is. Now. Black right. metal band. They were oh, right. Black, they were oh, black, yeah, I've never, I've never done black metal. They were a British black metal like, band. Or, or, you know, or heroin. Um, <laughs> well, they're about the same, really. They're not yeah, mutually yeah, yeah. exclusive. Well, I think, yeah, exactly. Once you get into it, you can't stop, and you've got to have more and more. But I'm, I'm again not really black metal. I'm not really death metal. But for whatever reason, the walls of Avalon, the the subject matter, they they talk about um, the first album is about Arthur and yeah. his knights, but from a more almost a historical spin on it. Yeah. Um, and then the second one's about uh, Bodicea or Boudicca, yeah. depending on where, where, <laughs> yeah, where you're from yeah, and how yeah, old yeah, you are. Yeah, fuck that. Um, Bodicea sounds much better. But it's it's really, really good. Well, now that's, that's something you need to do. It's kind of funky black metal. Well, that's something that interestingly <clears throat> mentioned there that, that, that we didn't discuss, but something that is a bit of a kind of hobby horse of mine as well, and I'm really glad you brought that up, <laughs> is that um, it, it's, it's kind of like with with the advent of downloading and move, we've moved on from downloading now and streaming and everything else yep. the, the, the kind of the, the loss of, of lyrics you know there's like there, there's no there's no booklet there's no there's no um, inner sleeve no, and, and and you know lyrics are you know I always, I always say stuff, publishing is paid 50% on the music 50% on the lyrics mm. 
That's the, that is the way publishing is paid. Basically, it's a fact that a song is 50% words, 50% music. Mm. And there's whole generations out there who are just like, meh, meh, yeah, well, whatever. You know, does anybody really download the PDF of the lyrics? I mean, that, this is why we've yeah. got lyric videos, which yeah, is the equivalent of the old bouncing ball. You know, <laughs> it, it's, it's well, a real shame. So I mean, it's really nice to hear that, you know, from someone that, that it actually matters because it does, matters a yeah. lot to me and it's well word, words matter you know what I mean and the subject yeah. matter matters if you're just going to be sort of going down the same kind of tried and tested route one of the reasons I don't like black metal just to get back on this for a second yeah yeah sure it's just because it's all similar subject matter and everyone tries to be more black than the first person there. Yeah. everyone's trying to be more um, or more shocking and shocking you know, for the sake of it as necro, well, more satanic yeah. and more cult yeah. and it's all yeah. about I, fi- I, I fucked 10 corpses well I fucked 20 corpses yeah. I think most of the good ones are going to have moved on from that and have <laughs> embellished yeah, and, and this, used sort of different uh, different influences like folk and prog and all kinds but they of take things. folk and they take folk, but they're still going from that same kind of route of sort of Norwegian the forests and the black and you know if, mm. if they want to kind of leaven it a bit they'll bring the Vikings in for a bit of a novelty <laughs> but to be honest I want something that's got a little bit more to it yeah. um, a philosophy yeah yeah a philosophy something that somebody actually really appreciates if a band is doing something and they don't actually believe in it yeah. You know, if if they're a black metal band that all week and then go to church on a Sunday, you know, and play golf with the local pastor, mm. yeah. I'm not really into that. You've got to practice what you, you preach. Know? Yeah, I mean yeah. that's why I, I think a lot of that in you know the, the black metal movement it came kind of who could who could out evil the other into about satanism and go on praising kind of dictators <laughs> like Paul Pot and everybody else. And you look at people like Varg Vikernes and they've got nothing to say. His last album sounded like. The fucking music to a, that you'd hear coming out of a massage parlour or something. <laughs> fucking terrible. <laughs> fucking strange massage parlours you've been going to. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not a black metal record at all. Probably it's not best. It's, it's, it's like the kind of ambient music of, that you'd you'd listen to in a really dodgy takeaway when you're that desperate. You're three, <laughs> it's three o'clock in the morning. You've had a skin full of beers and you think, I really have to have a curry now. <laughs> Otherwise, tomorrow morning I'm, I won't be able to face the world. And, and that's what it sounded like. It was just absolutely awful. But um, I think a lot of a lot of those bands kind of take took themselves too they took themselves too seriously. Mm. They took Venom, delivered ironically. They stripped the irony out of it, and they were dead serious. Yeah. Well, and, uh, well, Andrew O'Neill does a brilliant show on heavy metal. Um, mm. The comedian, the heavy metal comedian, Andrew mm. O'Neill does a brilliant. And I had him on my podcast, and he was saying that. Uh, um, I can't remember which band he was interviewing, but it was like if there was some death metal band or whatever. And mm. in the interview, they said, "Like you know, Venom were joking, don't you?" Yeah. They said, and they said, they said the most Scandinavian thing ever, which was, um, uh, "We like to believe that they were serious." <laughs> That's it. It's like you know, mm. but they were joking. Mm. But we believe they're serious. But they were joking. Yeah. Yeah, but we believe them. You know, it's like right, okay, yeah. That's fucking mental. Yeah. You're just bringing me on to all the stuff I'm remembering that I'm listening to at the moment. Right, go for it. What? Um, Phonic. Phonic. They are a Taiwanese black metal band. Mm. <laughs> right, with, bring with, it on. Uh, made it with Eastern violin. Death metal <laughs> made in Taiwan. Awesome. They they use um, 
traditional instruments. Right. Mm. Like the fiddle that you play upside down, you know. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, that kind of thing, yeah. With the sort of kind of sort of vibe to it, that's not edit that out. I don't edit, I don't edit. (laughs) That'll all be in, mate, that'll all be in. Yeah, you can can listen back and cringe. You know, the the kind of the Chinese sort of music, there's that kind of element to it, so there's like really nice kind of floaty bits in it to go with all the heavy stuff. And what they do is they do stuff about the myths and the history of their own country. Yeah. And Mm. combine the two. So it's kind of so it's like it's like metal as a history lesson. Mm. Yeah, I think that's one thing I've always found about bands that if they've got to put something of their own culture into it. If I just heard British bands singing, <clears throat> I don't want to hear English bands singing in American accents. No, oh, fuck who does? It, it drives yeah. me up the bloody wall. Yeah, that's why I hear all of these bands trying to sound American. I think I've already got an American band I can listen to. I want to listen to you because you're. British, Swedish, Norwegian. Well, the funny thing is, as well, is that what's that's what what's Americans think. Your culture well. in the music. That's what Americans think as well. Americans mm. do not want to hear um, Brits and Europeans trying to do American music. Mm. You know, it's simple as that. Um, I mean, that's why back in the day, UK thrash. That's why we all we all hit a ceiling, and that was it. <coughs> because you know it was an American form of music, mm. and we were all playing an American. Music. I mean, you know, a lot of people say that you know Slayer is like uniquely American. It's very American, and I agree mm. with that. I think it is, with a lot of um, uh, European imagery. Um, yeah, absolutely. But, but but thrash is essentially, uh, you know, uh, made in America, and all us UK bands doing it. It's like, <coughs> you know, not taken seriously. No fucking way. The you know people like Creator and Sodom and Destruction. Mm. They were all doing. They were all doing. A German twist on it, mm. you know. But definitely, us British sound, uh, bands. I think we, I think we sounded British. I'm speaking for my own band. We sounded British, mm. but still, it's still a case of yeah. But we've got, you know, we. This is our music, not yours. Yeah, you know. But I disagree. For, you're, I yeah, that's I, all right, mate. You're you're entitled to disagree. Mm. I'm going to put some snooker balls in a sock. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're you're talking from a point of view with someone who was there and was doing it, but yeah. from a standpoint of a fan who was listening to the records, yeah, I didn't give a damn about the American bands. Right. Okay, that's interesting. You know, they they didn't speak to me for whatever reason. I like to think that there was, you know, a band up in Preston. Right, yeah. You know, I, I, I could yeah. jump on a train and, and know that I'd be in the same town that it was Centrix, wasn't it, Preston? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. it is, yeah. You know. Um, they're, they're on tour in October yeah. with um, half-decent support, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Special <laughs> guests, apparently. Yeah. And then you had people like Lomo or Death, who just... Yeah. No American band would do that. No, yeah, obviously, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, you've got people like Green Jelly and people like that, but... Guar. Yeah, yeah. but... Lomo Death just had a, a very British, you know... Sensibility. Sensibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, absolutely, and, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so you were taking the kind of the American idea of it, but there was a British spin on it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, like I said, I think, I, you know, we, we certainly felt like, you know, we maintained our Britishness, as mm. it were. Mm. Um, you know, that's for sure. Oh, no. But... Um, you know that's that's just the that's just the right. way it goes. No, 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 you go for it, mate. Um, right, okay. Well, we'll call it a day there. Um, okay, um, Sorry, what was your name? John. 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 Thank you very much for dropping in. No worries. Um, Ross. Pleasure. Again. Thank you. Um, Again. No, not at all. Thanks a lot, guys. Cheers. Let's My let's pleasure. go and do some heavy metal comedy. Let's do it. 
So there you go. Um, thank you to John and, and Ross. Um, and yeah, we did go and do some heavy metal comedy. And uh, funnily enough, what you heard there was we were sat in the back room of the pub and um, and we'd had it to ourselves and two guys came in and wanted to play pool. So that was where that was where the interview uh, ended. How fucking slick and professional am I? Um, but um, I, I hope you really enjoyed that. I did. Um, we, uh, both of those inter- interviews, the, um, the one with John and Ross was really cool. Um, we really got to sort of have a little bit of a, a, a real kind of discussion of all things metal, which, of course, you know because you just listen to it. I'm just babbling, aren't I? Um, so this is a writer's special. No music on the way. Uh, no no, no um, hidden songs coming to you now um, because it, it, this is the theme with the writer's special. It is just all about them. So please do remember to subscribe to Talking Bollocks. Get your friends to do so. Um, if you're not subscribed, you might miss out on some of the specials that, that, that come your way. So um, it's always worth and if you know don't forget um all about the rock.co.uk which is where you can find these as well um you can also find them on youtube so uh, make sure you're um you get your ears tuned in to what talking bollocks is all about so thank you very much it's been a pleasure having you along and i hope you've enjoyed this special speak to you all soon cheers bye-bye